Hey, everybody. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Not a Bomb Podcast. This is the podcast where we go back and we look at the movies that bombed at the box office or maybe the critics eviscerated with the reviews. Brad, what's going on here? It's November 1st and uh, we're still talking spooky movies. Yeah, don't tell me Halloween's over, buddy. Halloween's don't over. Don't tell me. Halloween's over. Because we're talking about Halloween, the one without Michael Myers. Yes. 364 days till Halloween. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. We've got a long way to go. Well, that amazing voice you just heard is our great friend, Josh, from the VHS Files podcast. Josh, how are you doing this evening? Uh, I'm basking in this uh, after Halloween season. I'm happy that uh, Halloween has now come and gone, but I'm still in it. It's Halloween year round for me, guys. Uh, I agree. I, I got to say. That, I, I'll that probably... nice candy, just euphoric feeling you got going on. That's right. Yes, we'll be watching scary movies probably uh, <laughs> all the way up right to Christmas. I don't know. But we we kind of reached out. Uh, this movie came up on a list because we had been pulling from the list of, I guess, recommendations. And I know you had recommended this one, too. But you've been talking Halloween movies over at the VHS File podcast like all month. You yeah. reviewed the Halloween Kills film that just came out. You just did a ranking, I guess, of all the Halloween films from the from the worst to the best. And um, I, th is this your favorite franchise? It is not. And I've mentioned that briefly in the ranking video that we did for Halloween, uh, the Halloween franchise. It's got its fair share of problems. There are lots of things I don't like about the Halloween franchise. Um, and I feel like it takes itself a little too seriously sometimes. And when it tries to interject comedy, it doesn't really hit for me. And uh, that's it's funny because in our discussion about the rankings of Halloween movies, I mean, sometimes I'm saying, oh, it's taking itself too seriously. And then I'm saying, oh, it needs to be a little more lighthearted here. Like <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't really know where the line is. And that's the biggest issue I have with the Halloween franchise. Yeah. I, what What about Bust the Bust? You like Bust the Rhymes in your Halloween movies? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, come on. Uh, I will I will go ahead. I do and like Buster Rhymes quite a bit, but uh, I will yeah, go that, ahead and give the listeners uh my two cents. I think Buster Rhymes is in in the worst Halloween movie of the franchise and is one of the worst parts of the Halloween franchise. Oh, wow. But I but I do like Buster Rhymes. I will rock some Buster Rhymes. I just do not want Buster Rhymes in my Halloween movie. Okay. Well, if So you, you don't have him all in check then, right? Nope. Okay. Well, if you want, if you want to listen to the rest of the list, you got to head over to VHS Files podcast and see where. It, so I'm, a, I've listened to it, and it, and I'm glad that you guys just came out of the gate and said, "Hey, number one is the original Halloween." So no spoilers yeah. there. Um, yeah, I mean, we we didn't want to, you know. There's no way we could drop a bomb on somebody about something like that. I mean, you know, the, in our opinion, and I think in the majority of people's opinion, the first one is the best one, and that holds true for us and. We just, you know, we threw it right out there. It was like, hey, if you're looking for anything shocking in this list, it's going to be with between numbers twelve and two. Uh, number one is number one. So okay, you would be, you would. Oh, I, I respect people's opinions on a lot of things, but not saying that the first Halloween film is not the best Halloween movie would be quite difficult. But yeah, yeah. that's that's just gibberish. Yeah. If anybody ranks it, um, where the first I've Halloween honestly film is seen, not. I've honestly seen people. Um, Put the one that we're talking about tonight at the top of their well, list. We'll talk about that. I, I think that's <laughs> crazy talk. But listen, Brad and I had been discussing all month, and I, I thought this would be a good conversation for the three of us real quick before we talk about tonight's movie, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. 
I'm curious what everybody's favorite horror franchise is, but a couple of ground rules, right? I think the first one is um, we we got to discuss your favorite horror franchise, but it has to be more than two films. Is that is that a good rule? I was I almost going to so. say more than three or more. Like three is. Uh, I, I think to have a franchise, you got to have at least a trilogy there, yeah. and then it's got to build upon that. Okay, good. Um, you know, I, you know, if we said that uh, aliens could have, I mean, I don't know, like aliens wouldn't be a franchise without the sequels. If you just did Alien and Aliens, I would say that's a great little one-two punch. I wouldn't say it's a big franchise. So, yeah, I mean, I would think three movies would really kind of qualify you as a franchise. Okay, well, that was actually the only rule I wanted to put out there because um, when you go through the list, there are so many different hybrid genres. You got the horror comedy, you got sci-fi horror, um, it's just straight horror, and it's amazing. I, I, I was actually blown away just kind of doing the whole Google thing and trying to figure out like how many horror franchises are out there. And and it is mind blowing. And it's There's also, a lot, a yeah. lot. <laughs> and it's also <laughs> mind blowing how many of these franchises are like in the eight, nine, 10. Um, and how much, how many of them are hot garbage? Well, and how, how many of them make a ton of money too? I mean, some of these horror franchises, they will put out hot garbage and just print money. So uh, I, I'm going to start with you, Josh, cause I'm really curious. I, I had a lot of fun listening to you rank the Halloween films mm -hmm. and that's when you kind of dropped a bomb in there that that was not your favorite franchise. So right. I'm, I'm really curious if you had to pick one horror franchise that you think is the best or your favorite, all subjective here, what one are you going to go with? Uh, this comes with nostalgia blinders on it and I am fully aware of that, but Friday the 13th is the franchise that I go back to over and over again. It, um, I, I just have this connection with Jason Voorhees. I think the movies, I grew up watching those over and over again. And I remember going to the theater to see a, a half of them. So Halloween wasn't really one of those. I saw the original Halloween and then I saw the sequels on video after that. And, you know, Halloween is my favorite slasher movie. Uh, I, I state that in our rankings video and podcast. Um, but, you know, I go back to Jason when it comes to franchises. If I'm going to watch a franchise from beginning to end, um, I'm not going to say it's a solid franchise by any means. It still has its fair share of problems, just like Halloween, just like Nightmare on Elm Street. But it's, there's something about Jason that I just, I, I, I have more fun watching those. I feel like they know exactly what they are. Uh, case in point, Hall or, uh, Jason Part 6, uh, Jason Lives. When you open a, a Friday the 13th movie with a Bond ripoff, uh, I'm on board. Uh, and, and I'm not even a Bond fan, but I, I love the comedy that's there. So, you know, if, you know, they know exactly what they're doing with those movies. Sometimes they took it a little too far. You know, Jason Goes to Hell, Jason X. Those are not really my favorites in the franchise. I, that's where we had some giant missteps. But for whatever reason, that's what I go back to is Friday the 13th. Um, and your, it's funny. Um, can I ask you know, what your I, favorite Friday the 13th is out of the entire series? Or do you have one or two? Well, I may be making it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> part four would be my favorite. I find the final chapter to be kind of a sort of the uh, John Hughes uh, version of a Friday the 13th movie. I, I find the kids there a lot more uh, relatable. Uh, some of the kids in that movie are pretty disgusting. Uh, but... 
you know, I just feel like that movie works on every level. Um, you know, the, the characters I hate in that one, I hate for good reasons. The characters I like, I like for, for good reasons. And I think, you know, the, the, the gentleman who portrays Jason in that one is really good. He's my favorite person that's portrayed Jason. It's not Kane Hodder. I, I like the, uh, can't think of his name. Joseph Zito, I think, is the gentleman who played him in that movie. Um, or that might be the director. I don't know. I'm getting them mixed up. But Ted, Wasn't it Ted White? Ted White, that's right. And Zito was the director of that Zito's one. Zito's the director, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, that would be my favorite one. And then Jason Lives would be right after that. Just because mm-hmm. it's very tongue-in-cheek, but it still manages to entertain me. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, those are great picks. Well, Brad, I... I <laughs> When, when we go back to this, I'm like, well, he's going to pick this one because he always talks about this one. I'm curious. You yeah. could surprise us, right? So what's your favorite horror <clears throat> franchise? No, I mean, I hate to like, kind of play to my my role here, but the Scream franchise would be my favorite. Um, again, Scream was like the most important horror film to me uh, growing up because it was probably the first one I was obsessed with. Um, but I will also second that I think Friday the 13th is – it's got a lot of problems, you know, there's Roy, the movie, uh, but mm-hmm. he, he, <laughs> like, I've never heard it before referred to as Roy, the movie before. Uh, so. uh, but he also, you know, Jason goes on a cruise at one point, he goes yeah, to space, yeah. mm-hmm. he goes to hell. Uh, my favorite kill in any horror film is in Jason eight. When he takes Manhattan for like 15 minutes uh, is when he punches the guy's head off. I love <laughs> every part of that. It's probably the best part. Do you know of why? Movie. Do you know why? Not only did they, so punching the head, the guy's head off would just be fine. It'd be great, but it rolls down the roof and then it falls into the dumpster. So they take it like the one step further where it's just like chef's kiss. Um, but no, scream is scream is my favorite. Um, I'll defend scream too. Um, I'm really looking forward to the new one. Um, but would you just would you defend Scream Three? That is the question. Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but <laughs> I think Scream Four is actually really good. I think they kind of came back around um, and made Scream Four a halfway decent film. Um, the, the thing with me in in rating franchises is the highs and the lows. And I think right. Halloween has some really low lows. Um, Friday the Thirteenth has some really, really low lows. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that Freddy never shuts the hell up. I, I, <laughs> I tried to go back and kind of redo the Nightmare on Elm Street stuff, and I just find Freddy Krueger more annoying each time. Uh, but Scream kind of the, the deviation between quality is not as the peaks and valleys aren't as spread apart. Um, so I think you know I, I will I will go to bat for Scream. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What if I said like Leprechaun? Would you just be like, well, what are you yeah, talking well, I was about? Waiting for. I, 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 I was just I'm waiting done. for you to come out with something and just go, you know what? It's it's this one. And uh, I, I was waiting it's, for the it's surprise. Puppet Master. Puppet Master is my favorite. My buddy Nathan would probably say Puppet Master, yeah, to be completely I, honest. I, I like, I like yeah, the Puppet Master kind films. Of fun. Yeah, it's kind of fun. They're goofy. Uh, I, I think for me, the important thing about a franchise is it's, you know, it's always got to try and reinvent itself to a certain degree. Cause when you get pretty deep into it, I like franchises that take chances. And, and I think we're going to talk about that when we talk about tonight's film. Right. So right. I, I really respect the, the, like everything that Halloween has done because every so often they're trying to take it in a new direction or do something different with it. And, you know, good or bad, we'll, we'll debate that till the cows come home. 
I, I just like that. I like franchises that um, once they sense that they're getting a little bit of staleness uh, within the storytelling or the concept, they try and interject something new, right? Fresh. Right. Uh, well, they try to develop, like Michael Myers started off as a six-year-old kid who just stabbed his sister. And then at some point in time, there was a, you know, the curse of thorn. And you're like, where, where are we going? Like, there's runes. Like, what are we doing? But yeah, yeah. I get your point. Yeah. And uh, you know, the Chucky series, like one of the, one one of my favorite sequels, one of my favorite horror sequels of all time is Bride of Chucky. And, and we've talked about this, I think when we did the movie matchup uh, show, like years ago, I love that sequel because to me, it's like the aliens of the horror franchise because you, you have a little slasher killer doll thing and then you bring in Tiffany and they, you know, Ronnie, you try to go an entirely different direction with that thing while still maintaining this um, Chucky slasher doll, but then bring in sort of this domestic um, comedy with Tiffany and everything. And it works. I, I think it works. And I really enjoyed that's, that. That's why. I, that's why I love you, man. Yeah. Uh, you but, just compare Bride of Chucky to, to Aliens. It you is. Know what? Yeah. I love you for it. Um, but it's not my. I'll friend. take that. I'll take that walk with you. I'll take it. I'll yeah. take that walk with you. I my franchise. My this was a no brainer for me when the, when we started debating this question. It was like, yeah, it's this one, and it's for the reason that I think you said, Brad. Between the highs and lows, my franchise has no lows whatsoever. Everything that is put out has been fantastic. And I'm oh, talking shit. about none other than the Evil Dead series. Evil Dead 1 is amazing. Evil Dead 2 is amazing. Army of Darkness is amazing. The remake to Evil Dead is amazing. Ooh, and the yes. three uh, seasons of Ash versus Evil Dead is amazing. I, I loved okay. all three seasons. Okay. So, okay. And, and what I really like about this, Evil Dead 2 is the one that I will watch over and over and over again. That was the one I, I probably rented like crazy in high school. But I love the fact that Raimi specifically starts with something low budget horror and then starts to interject comedy in the second one, then kind of goes straight into horror comedy in the third one and then allows somebody to bring it all the way back to like pure chills and horror and then goes off and does a TV show and tries to kind of take Evil Dead 2 and just expand upon it with these side characters, which I absolutely love. But I adore that franchise. And to me... It's the rare example of an auteur who goes out and says, I'm taking this concept and I'm playing with it and all the variations that he brings to the table work. So, um, yeah, that's my pick. It, it doesn't have 10 or 12 films. So if you're talking about, you know, the law of averages, yeah, you've got four movies. Um, but man, I, I think what they did with those four movies are fantastic. And I love the TV show. Oh yeah, I have no problem considering Evil Dead a franchise whatsoever. And we just we just covered the original Evil Dead on our show a couple yep. weeks back, and we spoke briefly about the remake of Evil Dead. I think it's one of the best remakes that they've done. I agree. Of, yeah. of, 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 of a beloved horror movie, I think you know I was surprised going back and watching it after watching the the original and then going and watching the remake how much they really are drawing a lot of inspiration from that original movie. Yep. Uh, it's it's very creepy tones, and they go the extra mile of giving you a reason for being at that cabin. Not just teenagers out there having a good time. You know, they put the whole uh, a girl trying to get clean aspect in there. The fact that she wants to leave looks more like she's trying to get out of her rehab as opposed to just them wanting to leave the cabin. It's very smart, and I think Fide Alvarez. I think I'm saying that right. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think he kind of tapped into exactly what he needed to with that movie, and it's kept this franchise going. I think that's mainly the, the main reason you got an Ash versus Evil Dead series is because that remake did so well. Yeah, and I'm, I'm excited yeah. for the new one, too, that apparently yeah. takes place in an apartment building. And, um, yeah, I mean— apparently it, it just wrapped, I think. Yeah, I heard it, that it just wrapped. It reminds me of Demons 2, so I'm excited because um, I, <laughs> I love those films. But uh, yeah, I, I, Josh, I know we were on that text thread talking about horror remakes, as you do, and you had mentioned Evil Dead, the remake, and I was like, oh, I haven't seen that in a few years. And then you brought it up, and I watched it, and I was like, you know what? Like, people sleep on this movie, but it— Mm-mm. I don't want to be blasphemous and say I like it better than the original, but I might. I don't know. I because I don't it, have the. Nostalgia I think it's as just original. as good as the original. I mean, there there there's yeah. something about the original that that is that lo-fi quality that makes it mm-hmm. creepier. But oh my god, you get to the. I just remember watching in the theater, and then every time I've watched it on home on uh, like home media, and especially that new cut that they released, which is you know the the extra gore and stuff to it. Yeah. Yeah. But you get to the last 15 minutes and you're wore down. I mean, that movie is exhausting. And then when you get to sort of the climactic battle, I mean, I, my, I'm just exhausted. I'm scared. I'm terrified. And I'm, I'm just amazed at how he is able to kind of put the viewer through all of that. So it's so good. No, I, I I agree with you there. That's that's a pretty solid franchise. I mean, obviously everybody goes back to Evil Dead too because it's kind of where it found its footing and and that sort of solidified what that franchise was going to be and where it went from there. So uh, I even mentioned on our podcast about watching the original. I was like, I think I might like this better because it's it's creepier. Like if I'm going to watch a horror movie, like this is a this is a full full through and through horror movie, but. I watched Evil Dead Two like a week later, and I was like, "Nope, mm, Evil Dead Two still holds the holds <laughs> it's the top spot." It's amazing. It's just, I mean, you can watch them back to back, and it's a different experience. But I, I really think it's one of those where you watch one, pause for a little bit, then go back and visit it. Um, yeah. I mean, it, Evil Dead Two just really took the best things from Evil Dead and then added more stuff to it. Yeah, made so, it better. Yep. It's yeah. it's one of those sequels that's like, no, we want to do it bigger and better. Like, do it more, but bigger and, and better. And they mm-hmm. did. Well, Which, I mean, as far as franchises go, you've got tons of them. There's good, there's bad, and, you know. Uh, then there's Hellraiser. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which, uh, you talk Oof. about a franchise that started off strong and really took a dive. Oof, I, I'm anxious to see this remake that they're going to be doing. I hear they're following a lot closer to the novel, to the novel, and Pinhead will be a female in this one. So I, it's got my curiosity, but I have never watched anything from part three I've seen part three, but I've not watched anything they've done after that. And I probably never will. I've watched them all. I own them all. And and I would not recommend that. Okay. Yeah. Same with children of the corn. I mean, even then, man, that that's weak sauce franchise in my opinion. <laughs> I think I've seen the first three of that one. And I was like the, 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 the second and third one were hard enough to get through. So I was just like, I'm not, I, I won't be finishing this one. <laughs> oh, it's wise choice. Uh, so, we're talking about the Halloween franchise and specifically Brad, you picked the one that doesn't have Michael Myers. Yeah. Everyone's talking about Halloween kills right now. So we decided let's talk about the one that doesn't have Michael Myers. Let's talk about Halloween three season of the witch. Yeah. We're those guys. Let's (laughs) yeah. The guy is guys, a warlock, if anything, right? Yeah. We'll get we'll get into that. We're, we're, I, I can't believe I, the original title was supposed to be "Season of the Warlock," but they didn't think that had a good ring to it. So it, didn't, it doesn't have a cool song. The There's no yeah. cool song. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 
Well, let's talk about uh, the numbers. So Josh, you've, you've been on many, many times and we actually assigned homework to you at this point. We're like, you're, you're just, you're part of the family. So right. <laughs> uh, we're, we're going to have Brad go over the numbers because this surprised me. I'd always thought Halloween was a certified bomb like across the board, but that's not necessarily the case. There's some interesting uh, financials behind this um, and and even the, the reviews have kind of come around of late. But yeah, Brad, I want to yeah. turn it over to you. Let's let's give a little history lesson on how this sucker performed and uh, what was going on in 1982 when this thing came out. Yeah. So released October 22nd, 1982 with a budget of $2.5 million. Total box office was $14.4 million. That's all domestic. Uh, opening weekend, it comes in at number two. Choice Hour, what film was number one October of 1982? I have no clue. It is Rainbow First Blood. Oh, wow. <laughs> of course. Well, that makes total uh, sense. It's, so, ju- it's just First Blood. The Rainbow oh, sorry. name didn't come sorry, in until first the blood. second one, Brad. First, first. Get it right. Yeah, because that second one also has the dumbest title of all time. But anyway, um, <laughs> so it makes $6.3 million uh, opening weekend. So not bad. Um, here... For a little context, uh, Halloween, we all kind of know as a low-budget film that was quite successful. I believe at one point in time was the most successful independent film of all time. It's no longer the case. Yeah, I think Blair Witch dethroned that, right? But Blair Witch, and then, I th- yeah, it's and even that's been Paranormal Activity, dethroned. I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, so roughly about 300K uh, budgets made $70 million, right? Wow. wow. Halloween 2, $2.5 million budget. $25.5 million. Um, and so then we see that this budget was $2.5 and makes $14.4 million. So what we call that in the biz is a downward trend, Troy. Um, and and just a quick note there, that was part of our discussion with, with coming on the show and talking about what movie we wanted to do was I, I know Brad is the numbers guy, and I was like, well, this wasn't a financial bomb. So does that count for this show? But I, I think we're going to get into why it's it's got its spot on. Oh on yeah. So there's there's so, two there's two parameters. It either financial bomb. Usually we pick the ones that are both financially not good, and the critics just hate. So this hmm. one did really good from a box office perspective. I wouldn't say really good. It did okay. Modest. Well, yes. yeah. I I would say this. They didn't get the returns that they're expecting from the second one. But nobody walked away from this uh, with empty pockets. It just wasn't as big as what they wanted. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. And if it was successful, we might have gotten kind of that anthology deal anyway. But yeah. in part four, Michael Myers comes back because that's what people want to see. Oh, yeah. And I, I, I brought that in too. Uh, budget for part four was $5 million, makes $17.8 million. Um, So you can see it kind of rebumps gets a little bump up to have Michael Myers in your film. But that's Imagine not too that. far off from what this made though. No, no, yeah. and it's double the budget too. Yeah. Um here is why it is on a podcast called Not a Bomb. The critics sit at a 39% on Rotten Tomatoes and the audience score a 27 percent wow. <laughs> I would have said, ne- said negative four. Um, and I believe some of the positive reviews on Halloween three are Kind of after its uh, reevaluation, yes. and um, I'm I'm thinking one of the reasons we talked about having this on the podcast is the fact that when it came out, it was very uh, divisive on why there was no Michael Myers and everyone hated it because of the fact. Um, 
Probably that Silver Shamrock song probably rubbed people the wrong way too. 14 times it is in that movie. <laughs> um, I counted. So, um, yeah. So, you know, modest uh, return on investment, but critically panned, uh, audience panned. But again, when I was kind of talking to Troy about this, like the horror community has kind of come back around on this film and and kind of reevaluates it. And, and I know, Josh, it was in your top five. It was in Jason's top five. Which that was that was a surprise to me. That was a big surprise to me. Yeah, because it sounded like initially he would have, like, a ten years ago would have said, "No, this movie, no Michael Myers, you're at the back of the line." But yeah, um, and, yeah. And, and I'll go ahead and say, you know, this movie came with all kinds of negative stuff as a kid growing up. Uh, when you're watching these movies as a kid, you're attached to Michael Myers. My mom was also one of these that was attached to Michael Myers. I remember distinctly being in the video store and seeing Halloween 3 on the shelves and my mom going, no, we're not watching that. Michael Myers isn't in it. So you get that sort of, um, you know, that tag on that movie and you're just immediately going to write it off. Like, you're going to make a Halloween movie without Michael Myers? What the hell's the matter with these people? So, you know, I grew up just knowing that information, not knowing any of the, the background of the production and John Carpenter and Deborah Hill's outlook on what they wanted to do with the series. And uh, it wasn't until I was probably in my 30s that I really was like, why is people? Why do people give this movie so much shit? You know, <laughs> let's just go into it with the with rose colored glasses and just say, okay, it's not a Halloween movie. Let's just watch it as an 80s horror movie and see how how it comes out. And I think a lot of people, as you said, Brad, are, are finally starting to see it that way. And I think it's finally starting to find an audience. Yep, I, I will. I will openly admit this was the first Halloween film that I saw. Um, oh, when I was okay. younger, this was the first one. Um, because I think, I don't know, my parents were okay with, you know, Deadly Halloween Mask, not a slasher. So um, this was just the one that I, I got to see first. So uh, I'm the only one that saw this in the theater when it came out, right? I think I was 10. Yeah, I was uh, not born <laughs> yet. Not born. So yeah, yeah okay. sure. Yeah, I was three. Or did okay. it come out in 82? 82. 82. Okay, I was two. So, yeah, Troy, you're the old guy. Okay. <laughs> I, I do remember seeing this in the theater. Um, I'd never, I never, I think this was the second Halloween. My dad took me to everything. So, I, I think this might have, no, I, I, I do think I saw Halloween 2 in the theater. Maybe it was a drive in. I remember specifically seeing this one at Town East Square. I do remember that. Uh, and thinking, Oh, was oh, that in Wichita, Kansas? It was Wichita, Kansas. So, um, yeah, we'll we'll talk about thought. And I've seen this film a couple of times in the theater, actually. Most recently, a few years ago, Mondo Baltimore, which is sort of a cult movie um, uh, group. They show movies once a month, and um, they're terrible. And they have sort of like a uh, kind of an Elvira shtick going on where they have Ghost Dad and Frau Frankenstein or something introduce films. And at the Parkway, which is the old oldest theater uh, in Baltimore, it's like built in 1919, they had a Halloween three season of the witch showing. And this is an old style theater with balcony and everything and the thing sold out. So uh, I think I've seen this twice in the theater. And in both times, it was a pretty packed audience because I, I remember opening day. My dad was pretty excited about this because of the Halloween films. Now, Josh, you want to you want to give just a little bit of history before we talk about the people behind the camera in front of the camera. Technically. If you were to look at the history of the Halloween franchise, this really should have been Halloween 2, right? Because 
Carpenter was not interested in doing a sequel. He was interested in doing something more like this. You want to give just like the little couple of minute version of, of the history of how this came around? Yeah, after the success of the original Halloween, instantly, you know, the, the studio was like, we need a sequel, we need a sequel. And John Carpenter and Deborah Hill had no intentions of Michael Myers becoming an icon of Halloween becoming a franchise. John Carpenter and Deborah Hill wanted to make Halloween an anthology series where every year a new Halloween movie would come out. It would take place on Halloween, but it would be a different story that may have slight connections to the one before it. You can kind of see that here in this movie because you do have references to the original Halloween movie. And that was the path they wanted to go with it. But Michael Myers and just Michael Myers in that first Halloween movie was such a big success that came out of nowhere. Um, that the studio was like, no, you got to give us a sequel. And, you know, a lot of people don't like Halloween too, because it's kind of, um, you know, it's kind of all over the place and not really as, as centered as the first movie was, but that's because John Carpenter and Deborah Hill wrote the script in like six days. And we're like, okay, well, let's go make this thing and I'll make some extra money. John Carpenter is very funny when it comes to this stuff, especially his own properties. Um, you know, he's notorious for saying, you know, I saw an interview with him recently where he was like, they asked him if the Halloween theme ever gets on his nerves now, where he's like, he's just tired of hearing it. He goes, Oh no. Every time I hear the Halloween theme change falls into my hand and it's a, it's a good day. Like he's all about making that. That means I can play more Xbox. That's right. If, as long as he can, you know, supply his video game habit, then play that song all year round or as, as, as much as he cares. So, yeah, I mean, this was, this was really what John Carpenter had in mind. And, and it's funny because John Carpenter didn't, didn't direct this. Um, Tommy Lee Wallace ended up doing the directing on this one, which he, the thing about the first three Halloween movies is they all still kind of feel, feel the same because you've got the same crew working on all three of these movies. Yeah. And we can get into that here with the behind the camera stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was the biggest thing is, is John Carpenter was like, this was originally supposed to be the babysitter murders it really wasn't even supposed to be a Halloween-themed movie, but that's kind of how where it ended up. And he had no intentions of making this a big deal, and the studios got involved. He made a good movie, so therefore they wanted to cash in on that as long as they possibly could. And you see we're still cashing in on it today. Yeah. And and for, for context, Halloween 2 came out in 1981, so this was a year right after the second one. So Yeah, so it's 78, 81, 82. So they make three films and four years and all profitable. Right. So, uh, to, to your point, Josh, they, they intentionally, um, wrote the screenplay for Halloween two with the intent to kill off Michael Myers. They thought that was it. Right. And to go into this anthology so that every year they're making a new one. Now you already hinted the director of this one is Tommy Lee Wallace. Little, little bit of trivia. He was not the original director attached to this. It was actually Joe Dante. Mm -hmm. And Joe Dante brought in a screenwriter, Nigel Neal, to write the original screenplay with uh, John Carpenter. We'll get to that in a minute when we talk about the people who did the screenplay. But he bowed out, and then Tommy Lee Wallace came in. Now, Tommy Lee Wallace has done some TV. Most notably, he's done in the in the films Fright Night Part 2, which he did in 1988, which is a pretty yep. decent sequel. I like it. I think a lot of people know him from 1990s It, the television show, you know, Pennywise yep. the Clown, and then uh, Vampires Los Muertos uh, in 2002. So not a that's the that's the sequel to the John Carpenter uh, yes. Vampires, right? Yeah, so not so, a really deep filmography, but I mean, the stuff that he's done, I think you know, horror fans know of, right? So right. can I uh, can I tell my story now? Yes, my dad 
um, grew up in Lexington, but he went to school at Western Kentucky. Uh, my dad is the same age as John Carpenter. He knew John Carpenter for a little bit at school. And okay. he also knew uh, Tommy Lee Wallace because Tommy Lee Wallace is from Somerset, Kentucky. So, uh, yeah, my dad knows. So, like, in the grand scheme of things, I'm like one degree separated from John Carpenter. I feel like you should so, get royalties for that somehow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, my dad, I mean, obviously, they're not like, they don't, they're not buddies or anything like that, but it was just interesting that, you know, they all went there together and it's interesting. Yeah. It's in a small world. No, it is. This film was produced by Deborah Hill and John Carpenter. So you mentioned that, Josh. So they're mm -hmm. still involved within this franchise. Now let's talk about the screenplay for a second. It was, um, so John Carpenter, Joe Dante, they originally bring in uh, Nigel Neal to write the screenplay. Neal asserts that movie mogul Dino De Laurentiis, owner of the film's distribution rights, did not care for it and ordered more graphic violence and gore. So while much of the plot remained... Didn't De Laurentiis have a hard time? Didn't the, some stuff get lost in translation too? Because he's Italian. Yes. So okay. I, I, I think they had some issues. And, and the way it goes is that Carpenter did a little bit of a rewrite and it goes uncredited. So if you go into IMDb, you'll see three people on here. Now in the credits, it's listed as Tommy Lee Wallace is the writer-director. But really behind the scenes, it started with Nigel Neal. John Carpenter did some rewriting. And then Tommy Lee Wallace came in and rewrote some things at the request of Dino De Laurentiis to kind of amp up the gore. As a result of that, these alterations, Nigel kind of got upset about it. And he uh, requested that his name be removed for the credits. I think he actually went so far as to you know, sue um, De Laurentiis and everything to have it removed because he just did not want his name attached to this. So that's why you get the screenplay credit of just Tommy Lee Wallace. But in fact, um, this really kind of starts with Nigel. And if you if you listen to interviews, uh, and I would encourage everybody, I mean, Shout Factory puts this thing out, I swear, like every a couple of years. So there's 18 versions of this out on Blu-ray or 4K. Yeah, how, how, I was curious, how many copy, like what, how many versions of this film do each of us own? Because I was looking today, because I got the new one. No, oh, I didn't buy the new one. Oh, yeah. I've got four. <laughs> I think I have three. I think. I, yeah. I, ne I never picked it up until Scream Factory did the initial release uh, years ago, and then I got it again with the box set that came out a few years back. Yeah, I haven't picked up the 4K yet, and it's mainly just because nobody has it in my area, and I'm just too lazy to order it off Amazon. <laughs> yeah. and, that, and that cover art is atrocious. Yeah, the cover art's terrible on these new ones. Um, let's talk about special effects, because I feel like this month, that's one of the things we've been concentrating on with all these horror films is showing a little, you know, love to these artists that are, are creating these like cool visuals. There are two names. So first of all, let's talk about Don Post. He's responsible for the latex masks that are in this film. So you've got, what is it? The witch and the skeleton and, and the, the pumpkin. pumpkin. Okay. So uh, who, what, are, what are you, Troy? Which one of the three are you? I, I'd probably be the pumpkin. Really? You don't think I'd be I was, a pumpkin? I pegged you as the witch. Not a to be witch? You. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's too scary, but go ahead. Okay. Which one are you then? I was going to be the skeleton. Okay. So does that make Josh the pumpkin? <laughs> Josh is our witch. Oh, Josh is the witch. Yeah, because I want to be the pumpkin. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> See, he's got he's got the lab and everything. And so, your little dog too. Yeah, and I, I thought this was interesting. So Don Post, um, uncredited, back in 1956, he actually worked on Invasion of the Body Snatchers. He did the uh, pods and other props. He's also known for designing the mask in Halloween too. And uh, since I think we've all been talking about Dune, 
the last few weeks uh, through our text messages and stuff, he created the still suit in David Lynch's Dune from 1984. So his credits are, are very specific to these things that are in film. And then the other one I want to talk about is Tom Berman. He's the special makeup effects because this, this one has some pretty gruesome makeup effects. He has a pretty cool, I don't know, filmography. So he also worked on a version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1978. He's also done movies like My Bloody Valentine, Cat People. I thought this was cool. The Goonies. So Josh, you guys have talked about The Goonies. Tom Berman was the makeup creator for Sloth. So he created Sloth. Nice. Um, another one, Howard the Duck from 86. He was the makeup designer for Dr. Jennings. So the sort of alien monster at the end. And um, here you go, Josh. Another one. He worked on Scrooge from 1988. That's another film that you reviewed. Yep. Uh, and, you know, outside of the, the realm of horror movies, he did Heaven's Gate in 1980. Remember that title because that one's coming up. And uh, Die Hard very, 2 very in soon. 1990. So Tom has a uh, long history, especially in the 80s and 90s, working on a lot of, you know, high profile films. Uh, the music to John, you know, John Carpenter produced film. It's a Halloween franchise. So of course you've got John Carpenter and Alan Howarth who do the music for this one okay. cinematographer. Now we've talked about this guy already cause we've already talked about um, big trouble in little China, but we're talking Dean Cundy and just a refresher. Dean was nominated um, for best cinematography back in 1989 for his work on who framed Roger rabbit. But um, Dean, you, you kind of said this, Josh, you've got a lot of the same crew in the first three. So Dean shot Halloween and Halloween two. Um, he, the, I believe this was the last one of the series that he shot. I think he may have came back later. I could be wrong there. I, I think you're he, right. I was going through the filmography. Um, I, I mean, I feel like everybody knows Dean Cundy at this point, um, especially for stuff like 2010s, the spy next door with Jackie Chan. So there's our Jackie. It looks Chan. like this <laughs> is his last, this looks, this looks like this is his last, uh, Halloween film. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he, uh, he also did Jurassic Park. He did do Jurassic another Park. Another classic. Another classic. Uh, there's one other person I want to mention because I don't think this person gets talked about enough, but uh, Burt Jetter. He was the caterer and he's worked on such <laughs> films as Escape from New York in 81. Uh, he did Halloween 3 and he followed this one up in 1990 with Class of 1999. I mean, talk about a pristine filmography. What kind of sandwiches is this guy making? Do you know? I, I don't know if he was doing sand, I, if he was doing anything. I know he was doing cucumber sandwiches on Halloween um, three, but yeah, uh, they have a whole lot. Of <laughs> yeah, uh, but no, I, I love Bert's work. Um, <laughs> that's funny. Uh, class of nineteen ninety nine is not. That's not the last time you're going to hear that movie mentioned. <laughs> oh, good. I I love that film. <laughs> I, I I really like that film a lot. It's so much fun. So. You've got, I, I think you said it right, Josh. A lot of the people behind the, the camera who worked on this thing had started with Halloween and are mm -hmm. continuing, you know, to work with John Carpenter and, um, you know, everybody else. But we've got some new faces in front of the camera. And uh, I, I thought this would be great for you to kind of walk us through all these actors and actresses who, who grace their presence in this non-Michael Myers film. Yeah, um, well, to start things off, the best way you possibly can. You've got Tom Atkins as Dr. Dan Chalice. Uh, he is a handsy, horny protagonist in this movie. Oh, boy. And, uh, and, With a know, killer mustache? Killer mustache. Uh, apparently a killer bod. Uh, apparently a lot of ladies thought this gentleman was hot back in the 80s because he was getting all kinds of ladies in the movies that you see him in. My wife would 
beg to differ. She's like, I don't understand why this guy is the front and center of these movies. He's not yeah, as active. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to agree with your wife on that one. <laughs> yeah. And like when he takes his shirt off, it's like, oh, yeah, this movie was made in 1982 because if it's his, a film made in 19 or 2020, like he's ripped. But in that one, he's like, no, I'm just the he's got, he's got a nice bod. dad bod. My dad yeah. bod. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember if it's the fog or if it's this one, but he's totally like full ass shot in one of these scenes. No, it's this one. Oh, yeah. He gets yeah. out of bed. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Like, oh, that's his butthole. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, he's, he's notorious in these movies for sleeping with ladies that are much younger than he is. <laughs> so yeah, which, it's just, it makes you wonder like, is that what he was doing in real life? Like, is that, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. I, you know, I've, I've read up a little bit about Tom Atkins. I haven't seen anything crazy about that sort of thing. Uh, I just know it's notorious in his movies. Uh, it seems like, you know, especially like with the fog and Jamie Lee Curtis was much younger than him on that shoot. Same thing here with uh, Stacey Nelkin. You know, it, it's just very odd to me to see this guy getting with the ladies he's getting with in a lot of these eighties horror films. Yeah. Well, you know what? That's what I like about some of these eighties films is you will get the non-traditional Chris Hemsworth, Chris Evans, 2021 bods. I mean, you get more normal people back then. Um, True. so that's cool. True. I like that. And I don't, I don't think Tom Ags is a creeper. I mean, I've, I've met him, I think right when drive angry came out and the guy is super cool. Oh, Tom Atkins, yeah. I love to death. It's typically the characters he plays in these movies. Are creepy, and, yep. You know, like, Tom Atkins is a notorious character actor. He's been in a lot of things over the years. He's pretty much like the the the, the genesis of our almost famous section that we do on our show. Like, he's that guy that you see and you're like, I know that guy. What the hell do I know that guy from? He is the quintessential almost famous guy. He comes up on our show all the time with the movies that we talk about. Um but I mean, he's notorious for working with John Carpenter. He was, like we said, The Fog, this Creep Show, or um, not, well, Creep Show is not a John Carpenter, but he was also in Escape from New York. Mm-hmm. So I mean, he's got a lot of credit there. Uh, as I mentioned, Creep Show, he was the abusive father in the prologue and epilogue of Creep Show. Uh, I don't know if you see him a whole lot in that one, but mm, I don't think so. Yeah. But he's also in one of my favorite, like more recent favorite '80s horror movies, *Night of the Creeps*. Oh, I think he's excellent yes. in that. It's my I favorite. Thought you were Tom say Maniac film. Cop. <laughs> I've only seen Maniac Cop once, I think. Oh, so, oh it's good uh, too. It's good too. Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it, but I, I can't really talk in depth about it because I haven't seen it enough times. But you know, I even go back and you know, I watched *Lethal Weapon* recently after Richard Donner passed, and I was like, "Holy shit, Tom Atkins is in this too!" Yeah. So you see him all over the place. Um, you would have seen him on TV back in the day in *The Rockford Files*. So I mean, he he got around in the '80s, and he's he's still appearing in things today. He's always popping up at horror conventions. So he has a lot of love in the horror community. Uh, you've also got Stacy Nelkins here as Ellie Gam- uh, Grim Grimbridge. Forgive me. Sometimes my pronunciations aren't so great. Um, she seems to have like a cursed career. Just reading up about her a little bit. Um, you would have seen her in movies before this, like Serial, Up the Academy uh, with Ralph Macchio, Going Ape. And she was on TV. She was in a lot of TV episodes like Chips, The Waltons, The A-Team, Twilight Zone. Uh, most notable, her role in uh, a soap opera, Generations. Never watched that one. I was the Days of Our Lives kind of guy. So, <laughs> yes, yes, you, yes, you were. Of course, you were. <laughs> but uh, I think you know she was supposed to be a character in Blade Runner that her character ended up getting cut from the movie uh, just just because of time and, and whatnot. I think she actually uh, auditioned for the role of um, uh, Daryl Hannah's character. I can't place her name for some reason. Chris. But, um, Chris. 
Chris, yeah. yeah. I okay. think she auditioned for that role, but it ultimately went to Daryl Hannah. And uh, one thing I found most notable about Stacey Nelkin is um, she worked with Woody Allen on Bullets over Annie Broadway. Hall. Yep. And uh, wait, wait, you said Annie Hall? I think they I, they may have met before then, but I think she had a small role in Annie Hall. I think again oh. that might have gotten. Cut, I, I just I, re- I remember from Bullets Over Broadway. I maybe she was in Annie Hall. I don't know. Okay, but the the main reason I mentioned that is because apparently, uh, according to her, the movie Manhattan is based on the relationship that her and Woody Allen had when she was seventeen years old. Oh, boy. oh, okay. So yeah, there's a little bit of drama that goes there, and I found that pretty interesting. Um, and at the time she was seventeen, Woody Allen would have been forty two. So yeah, I mean that really probably doesn't come as a shock to anybody what we know about Woody Allen now, but. You know, I found that kind of interesting. And also, she was briefly married to Barry Bostwick from uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show, who played Brad. Oh, holy cow. Mm. Okay. I met I met him, actually, at Pensacon a few years ago. And uh, oddly enough, he still has the underwear that he wore through half the movie. And he has it, like, in a display case on his table at the <laughs> Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, it, was, right. it was pretty strange. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, moving on. We've got uh, Dan O'Harely. Am I saying that right? Sure. He's As Colonel Conquering. The old man. The old man from <laughs> Robocop is yeah. what I know him yep. as. Yep. And honestly, he has the, the biggest career out of anybody in this movie. He's, he's been in movies since 44, I believe. And uh, he was in The Adventures of Robinson Crusoe. I think he won an Oscar for that. And uh, But yeah, biggest thing for him, for me, old man from Robocop. And yeah. uh, he was also in Twin Peaks. He plays Andrew Packard in Twin Peaks. I'm a big Twin Peaks fan. Okay. But he has he has a very identifiable face. Again, he I think he's come up on our almost famous segment before too. Wasn't old man the old man in RoboCop two as well? I thought yes, they were in all okay. three of them or yeah. something, weren't they? Or oh, two? That I don't know. Three I don't know as much about. I've seen it, but two one and, and two three. I've seen a hundred times. Yeah. yeah, two and three I have not watched a whole lot. RoboCop is my jam. I, I will I still watch RoboCop over and over to this day. Um, only other really notable people you would have seen here is, uh, Ralph Strait, uh, and, uh, he plays Buddy Cuffer. He was Sacco and Beastmaster, which I have not seen. <laughs> That's right. Uh, he was. Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, some, some background character actors here, uh, that are briefly on screen. You've got Nancy Keys, AKA Nancy Loomis. Uh, she plays, um, Linda Chalice, who is Dan Chalice's wife in this. She is most notable for playing Annie in Halloween. And again, uh, another mainstay of all the Carpenter stuff from this era. I think she was in uh, Assault on Precinct 13, uh, Halloween, Halloween 2, this, The Fog. So again, I think she married Tommy Lee Wallace for a brief period of time. So that would explain her part in this. Okay. Another one that I found pretty interesting is Joshua John Miller, and that's why I say you're going to hear Class of 1999 again here. He is uh, the one who plays uh, the boy vampire in Near Dark. He also plays Angel in Class of 1999. Oh, yeah. He is uh, Chalice's son. When he first comes home and you get the introduction to the family, he's the little boy. And I knew oh. his face. I, I knew his face. And I was like, how do I know him? And as I was going through the credits, I was like, holy crap, that's him. You're that right. The guy. That, I, Guys, I, that I don't want to like play or show our cards or anything like that. But Class of 99 was a bomb. Just saying. Mm. Oh, it's so good. Though. I, wa- I watched Class of 1999 a lot when I was a kid. And I haven't even seen Class of 1984, which I guess is the you know original 
that they kind of loosely based this, you know, 1999 sequel off of. But Class of 1999 was on repeat in my house for there for a little while. You got Pam Greer, man. I'm I'm all about that film. Oh, yeah. And uh, last but not least, you know, people want to say that Michael Myers is not in this movie and that's why they don't want to watch it. Michael Myers is in this movie. You just oh, got to yeah. look for him. Yeah. Uh, not just in the TV screen uh, where they hinted the Hall- original Halloween movie, but Dick Warlock is one of the androids in this movie. And Dick Warlock played Michael Myers in Halloween 2. He was the stunt performer in the, in the jumpsuit, behind the mask. And he is the one that uh, Dan punches through the gut and rips the circuitry out. That's, that is Dick Warlock. And he is our Michael Myers from Halloween Part 2. So technically, Michael Myers is in Halloween Part 3. And I will argue that point with anybody who wants to argue it with me. Hey, you're, you're not getting any arguments here. We agree with you. I mean, they even try and do a little callback when they throw the mask on the uh, video camera and you get to see like uh, something through yep. the mask. Kind of yep. like there. And you also Halloween have that hints of the original score in there. Even, even the score for this movie has the same sort of chord progressions in certain parts that the original Halloween score has. So it's there. It's loosely there. But Dick Warlock is also notorious for working with Carpenter. He was Kurt Russell's stunt double for over 25 years. Uncredited work on Jaws, which is my favorite movie. And he's worked on The Abyss, Pumpkinhead, Big Trouble in Little China, Body Double, The Thing, Escape from New York. I mean, he has been a stunt guy on tons of movies. Yeah, he's in the Hall of Fame. There's definitely yeah. no doubt about that. And he's got a great name. I mean, yeah, Dick Warlock. Dick Warlock. I mean, yeah. So, but that's what I've got for in front of the camera for this one. If I left anybody out, I apologize. No, oh, man. Well done, Josh. Fantastic. Well done. Get your homework and get a gold star. You do. A Thanks. plus, man. So Thanks. there, there like- was one thing I wanted to share um, before we get, because I've been dying uh, since I watched this to talk about this film with you two. But before we do that, one little fun fact. So there was a movie novelization. I, did you... They don't do a lot of these. Here we go. Yeah, and I don't know if you guys are a big fan of this. I I think, Brad, I sent you the novelization of The Last Action Hero. Mm -hmm. So I've I've always loved the movie novelization stuff, but there was one for this film that was published in 1982 by science fiction writer Dennis Etchison under the pseudonym Jack Martin. And despite the movie kind of getting the bad reviews and everything else, the book actually became a bestseller and was even reissued two years after the movie's release in 1984. That's how popular it was. If you go on eBay, you can find it. Do you know how much that novelization goes for now? $400. No, not that much. Uh, $1. $100. Josh went over. Okay, yeah, yeah I was closest. Yeah, you were closest. But I, I find that fascinating. It's one that I'm going to track down. I would love to read it. I think it's a great example of when you get these, I'm going to call this a quirky film, doesn't necessarily fit within a particular franchise, but you get the feeling just based on some of the continuity and stuff that goes on in this film. The novelization's got to have some crazy stuff in there. So, I actually, I'm glad you brought this up because I have a couple of notes on the novelization. I haven't read it, but I know a few things about it. Oh, okay. So I actually was planning on getting into a couple of things that I know about the novelization on this. One. I think the biggest thing with those, especially back in the 80s, is you got more information out of the novelizations. They, they were able to fit more in there that they had to cut down for shooting or whatever in movies. So therefore more information got put into these novelizations and, or they were given a script that was not tampered with while they were tampering with it on set and didn't know what was being cut and what was not. So, yeah, I mean, I remember getting the novelization for Indiana Jones and the last crusade. And I remember there being some specific things in there that was like, Oh, this isn't in the movie. Yep. So, and that's usually about this novelization too. Uh, but I'll let Josh talk about it because the ending of this 
Move, go ahead, Josh. I don't want to. I don't want to well, step on your toes. That's that's my biggest thing. Is is uh, you know I love the end of this movie, and the novelization sort of goes a little deeper into it. Okay, well we'll get there. But um, yeah, I, I I'm with you guys and and Josh a hundred percent. The the way it works, the way I understand it is that they will take uh, what they consider the final draft of the script, give it to the author. The author does the novelization off the script, but as changes are made, et cetera, you will yeah. get things in a novelization that, you know, cut for time, cut for budget, whatever it is, but it ends up in the novel. You'll also get p- the people that are writing these novelizations kind of going off off cuff a little bit and putting yeah. their own little spin on certain plot points and storylines within the movie or the, the, the story. So you'll have bizarre little trails off in these novelizations that were never even in the script, just something the writers decided to throw in there. You know, that's the other little bonus you get with novelizations. Oh, I love I'm it. sure there's probably less scrutiny over the novelization too. Like there, you could probably sneak in some information in the novelization and not in the script. For the yeah. film, it's a catch twenty two. I mean, the the latest Star Wars films. I think so, there's some criticism, you know, with um, how does the Emperor come back, etc. And mm-hmm. what you'll find is it's in the novelization. There, there's an explanation and everything else, but it never translated to the film. So, I mean, we've had this discussion when we talked about Southland Tales. You, you've got some people who will design something outside of the film with the intent to sell more of that, uh, so that you go see the movie and you really like the movie. Great, you want more? Go go get the novelization because it's a continuation of the story. It's the prequel. But what I like about the movie novelization specifically is it's the film, but it's all this extra stuff around the film. And um, I I don't know. It's better than to me. It's better than the deleted scenes that, you know, they throw in the DVDs and stuff like that because it, it just flushes things out a little bit better. The, The one that I'm most familiar with is my mom had the novelization of jaws two. And in that one, it describes the ending of the shark approaching Brody uh, to go up and bite the the, the power uh, cord or whatever that he's holding. And it describes that it's a female shark, and as he as it's charging Brody, the it births a baby, and that's the baby that's supposed to go on to be the shark in Jaws three. <laughs> oh, that's awesome! <laughs> that, it, that's the kind of ridiculous shit you'll get with novelizations. <laughs> Love it. Well, let's let's talk about this movie, uh, Halloween three, season of the witch. Uh, you know what, Brad, I'm going to start with you because and okay. I'm, I'm only going to start with you because I heard Josh's comments already this morning. So I got a little bit of a taste of what he thinks about this because it's in his top five. But honestly, to I'd be fair. Yeah. To be fair, I did not see this movie as a child. I, I kind of brief, briefly mentioned that here. Like I didn't yep. see this movie until I was in my 30s. So this is not a nostalgia trip for me. Sure. Absolutely. So but Brad, I, I have. I, I kind of know where Josh is going to land. I have no clue where you're going to land on this thing. So um, let's start with you. What, what are yeah. your initial thoughts here on uh, watching Halloween, your eighth or seventh copy of this on Blu-ray, 4K, <laughs> whatever. Uh, like I, like I said earlier, this was the first Halloween film that I saw. <laughs> so it's weird going to see the first one. You're like, Oh, who's this Michael Myers guy? Where's all the, where's all the mask? I had the, I had the reverse Sort of like, hey, where's where's all my mask? But, hey, um, you get everything you want in that and Halloween kills and you're trashing that. So, hey, they're giving you what you want and you still don't like it. But evil dies tonight. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I could have wrote that. Point, I'll, take, I'll, take, I'll take Silver Shamrock over evil dies tonight. You made evil. your point. Move on. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, I, you know, I watched this on Saturday night with my wife. And I had so much fun watching this movie. Um, I think if you call this film Season of the Witch or Season of the Warlock, 
all that baggage and everything is swept away and it is a totally different movie. Um, I think in 1982, it was difficult for people to see a Halloween film without Michael Myers. I get that. I would have been the same way. I would have gone into it and been like, where's my Michael Myers? I hate this. Um, seeing this film and, and not having any of that pretext, I just think it's like a really cheesy eighties horror film that has awesome deaths, a dumb as balls, like plot that you can literally just drive a truck through all these plot holes. I mean, there is time zones and all sorts of things. And you're like, what is this plan? Like, like Stonehenge, what are we doing? <laughs> but I don't care about any of that stuff. I don't care because at the end of the day, this is a fun as shit horror film. And it's 90 minutes or whatever. And it's just so much fun. And it goes by, uh, that's one of the weirdest things I've ever seen in my entire life. A character gets out of the shower, wraps herself in the smallest towel I've ever seen in my entire life. And then immediately gets in bed. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like that scene is the most <laughs> disturbing scene I think I've ever seen in any movie. I'm like, now that bed is ruined. Hey, it's a hotel bed. Like don't wrap yourself in, hotel covers but anyway um i i just really like this like the first time you see someone's like head explode in like her mouth and the the lady that the accident happens to you're like oh my gosh like this is what we're doing and um i kids turning into bugs and having them come out of their head like sign me up like kid death is I'm always for because i'm like if we're gonna do stuff <laughs> wow, let's go let's dark. kill some kids but i mean it's what See, you're doing. I, I, thought, I thought that was going to be a hard subject to broach on this show because I don't have kids. You both have children. Or actually, Troy has full-grown adults at this point. <laughs> but, you know. It, <laughs> I have a daughter named Ellie. So, like. <laughs> so, I thought that was going to be a hard thing to talk about within this episode. But I guess not because no. I, child death in movies does not shock me. I almost, like, am expecting it nowadays. Like, Hereditary has ruined me forever on child death in movies. But, like, I think it's fascinating when they decide to go that route in a movie. And especially back in the 80s, you know, I remember my mom being notoriously upset at Pet Cemetery because a kid died in that movie. So it, there was oh, this, you, like, you mean the Autobahn that goes by their house that yeah. Yeah, trucks <laughs> have to drive 130 miles an hour on? Yeah. But she had heard that there's a child that dies in that movie, and she just could not watch that. So for whatever reason, like – my mom being so offended that a child died in a movie made it that much more interesting to me that I like, it was like, okay, well give it to me. I want to see what they do here. So I, it's not that I seek it out, but it doesn't bother me when it happens. So, but coming from a, a, being a father or being a parent, I, I don't really know how that translates for watching movies for you guys. I mean, it's not like this gruesome sort of uh, – if it was like a torture scene on a, on a child, that might be one thing. But literally they watch a commercial and they fall over and bugs start coming out of their head. So like there's a difference really. Um, it depends on the context. This, there's yes. a difference between this and a Serbian film. Don't watch a Serbian film. I'm not. Yes. We've yes. never seen it. I will never yeah. watch it. No, I'm yeah, good. I think I've actually brought that up on this show yes, before. Yes, you, yeah. you have. Yeah, like, okay, even for somebody who's like, okay, I'm fine with child death Are movies. Are you supposed like, to buy unearthed films, Josh? <laughs> no, no, like. Why are you I pushing like, Serbian film all the time? Yeah. No, I'm not pushing it. I'm I'm completely the opposite of pushing that movie. I'm like, get that movie far away from you as possible. <laughs> but no, yeah, no, so, yeah. Uh, I, I, again, this movie is dumb, 
and it again you can and you can point way. out all the plot holes you want, but at the end of the day, it is enjoyable to watch. It is my third favorite Halloween film. It goes one, two, three for me, and uh, you can keep the rest after that, really. But um, yeah, I I I love this movie, and like we watch this every year just because it's 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 fun. And um, I hate to describe a film as fun, but this is a fun '80s horror film where people's heads explode and Stonehenge is involved, and there's a warlock and. Uh, yeah, all sorts of stuff. And Tom Atkins is the creepiest doctor of all time. So, and the girl gets over her dad's death in like four seconds. She's like, it's because she, it's because she's got Tom Atkins yeah. sexy ass there. Yeah, yeah consoling her. That, her. That yeah. Yeah. Time in her she's life. sitting on that bone throne. So yeah. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Here we go. All right. Enough. All right, Josh. Let's. Uh, if anybody wants, well, if anybody's heard your podcast and you, you've given a little bit of taste of where this ranks, but. I'm, I'm curious, you, you sat down, you watched it to talk specifically about this, not in the context of the Halloween franchise, but, you know, as a standalone film. And I think Brad makes a good comment that this isn't a Halloween film. I mean, it, right. it's its own thing. But I'm, I'm curious, what's your initial thoughts on this one? Well, that, that was the big thing about our ranking video that we did. It, it was, you know, we have to include it in the franchise because it is part of the franchise. There's no way to, 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 to not do that. But I think it's one of those things. It, it actually kind of plays into just like the Friday the Thirteenth franchise, where they tried to go a different route, and even though you don't like the route they went, or the, it's not the the typical story that you're used to getting from these movies, it is still part of that franchise. So you have to include it in there. Um, I'm mainly talking about Jason Goes to Hell. That movie is atrocious, but <laughs> um, you know, with this one again, it came with so many negative connotations, and I avoided it for the longest time, just for the sheer fact that everybody told me that Michael Myers wasn't in it. It doesn't make any sense that it's a Halloween movie, and I really just had to come into my own. And there's a there's a podcast I used to listen to a lot called Film Junk, and yeah, they are really big fans, or at least Jay on that show is a really big fan of Halloween Three, and it kind of took listening to their show and hearing him continuing to come back around to how. Halloween 3 is good. People are stupid. Halloween 3 is good. People are stupid. And I don't know if it's necessarily good, but it's fun, like Brad said. This is a fun 80s horror movie. Even though it deals with some crazy gore and some deaths of children and whatnot, like I can watch this movie and have a good time. It's a little bit lighter hearted than something like the original Halloween or the where the Halloween franchise goes. And Again, knowing the background and knowing what John Carpenter's original idea was for the Halloween franchise, like this, this, this is exactly where he intended on this franchise to go. So that gives me more reason to accept what this movie is. Is this movie full of problems? Yes, full of full of them. But again, like Brad said, I'm I'm kind of in the same boat as Brad as far as this movie goes. I can turn this on, have a good time watching it. I will agree there. The beginning of this movie is a bit of a slog. You kind of have to get through 20 minutes of this movie. But the mystery that's there and how this mystery unfolds, you're just continuously going, okay, <laughs> okay, okay. Like, this is where we're going with this. Like, it just continues to get more and more ridiculous as you go on. And then Connell Cochran will explain the whole plan to you at the very end. And you're like, I still yeah. don't know how this works, but okay, <laughs> cool. And then, I mean, you talk about oh, and robots too. We didn't, you didn't mention robots, yeah. androids, just, yeah. you've got so many different things going on here. I mean, one of the most unbelievable things is that he throws that mask and it goes on that camera. The first shot, like that is ridiculous. 
you know, if you've seen the movie, you know exactly what scene I'm talking yeah. about. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's so much ridiculous stuff here, but I'm having fun, and that's the biggest thing. Like, just 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 make it fun for me, and I can accept shit like that. I can I can turn off my disbelief and just roll with it, and that's what this movie does for me. Okay. Well, I started watching this movie with Tabitha and Angel, and uh, we were having a blast uh, the first 20 minutes. And it reminded me of, of the last viewing ex- experience I had at the Parkway when Mondo Baltimore did it. Sold out audience, and everybody's laughing. And mm-hmm. um, it, it wasn't full out like Rocky or a picture show callback. But you're just sitting with your friends, and to, to your guys' point, it's so ridiculous yeah. and makes no freaking sense. And some of the things that they do in this film are... You're, it just defies logic and you're just having, you're having a ball with it. The way this movie ends or the way this movie begins sometimes when I turn it on, I feel like I'm watching Christine. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I did. It does. Um, I think he, even angel made that comment. Um, when we were, when the guys, you know, kind of being chased through the junkyard and stuff like that, she's like, Oh, even the score, the score at the beginning of it sounds a lot like the score from Christine. Yeah, and, and we, we were having a ball with it. And then Tabitha's like, oh, I got to run these errands. And then she left. And then Angel's like, oh, I got to go back to college. And then she left. And I had to watch the remaining hour and 18 minutes alone. Um, Darn. And, and that wasn't fun. Um, what? I, I love watching this movie with a group of people. But it I think it's painful to watch on your own because this movie is so bad on its own. And it's so dumb that you really need a, a group experience to kind of point that out and laugh along with it. It's uh, and, and conversely, and you kind of mentioned this on your show too, like Halloween two, the director's cut, the Rob zombie version. Mm-hmm. I actually kind of enjoy that, but I like watching that on my own for sort of the back part. And it's specifically the Brad Dorf stuff I think is super powerful and Brad impactful Dorf is the best part of those Halloween movies. Yeah. He, and- I, I never would have expected to say that, but watching them, rewatching them recently for, for all the research I was doing, Brad Dorif is the MVP of Rob Zombie's movies because he's I agree. actually yeah. kind of reserved. He, he, he doesn't overblow his performance where everyone else in those movies does. I agree. And, and it, and it's such a weird like uh paradigm because a movie that has so many problems like this one, I, the problems are are so out there that it's fun to watch in a group setting and point them out and laugh about it and go, oh my gosh, did that happen to that lady's head like the laser and her face melts or whatnot and a bug comes out. Right. Um, and, and it's with the Rob Zombie films. like you, There are problems there, but if you have somebody pointing those out, it takes you out of it because I think there are some things going on there. Brad Dorf, as an example, uh, that actually work in that, in that favor. So when, when you have to pay attention to Halloween three on your own by yourself and judge it on its narrative, uh, you start to realize, man, this is hot garbage. I mean, it, it is a poor invasion of the body snatchers clone through and through. So, and I think they were specific. I read somewhere where somebody asked the question, like, is this film more science fiction than horror? And I can kind of see that to a certain degree. Like this has more in common with invasion of the body snatchers than anything else. And it feels more sci-fi horror, but I mean, this thing has plot holes and stupidity rampant. I think it's like four scenes away from a scary movie film in some regards. It's that (laughs) dumb. 
But, and I'll give you some examples. So let's, you, Brad, you mentioned the robots. Um, sometimes they're incredibly powerful, right? So they can pull somebody's skull apart. They do it to, you know, Ellie's dad, or they can yank a, yank a head off some dude's body, you know, just no effort whatsoever. But when it comes to choking a person, they can't choke anybody. And it takes them like 10 or 15 minutes. As a matter of fact, I don't think they've ever choked anybody, but yet they can do all of these like incredible feats of, of strength, except if their hand just happens to go around your throat, you've got about 20 minutes uh, to do something. Not, not just that. I mean, you pin them between two cars and that. A slow, a, yeah, slow, a slow moving car. That car was going about three miles an hour. Well, he had 20 minutes of being choked. So that car could have been going one mile per hour. He would have been fine. But yeah, I, I mean, you, it's it's so crazy how inconsistent like these robots are. And then when Ellie, spoiler alert for those who haven't seen it, I'm sure everybody's seen Halloween 3. Um, when, when she becomes a robot, she's running around helping Tom Hackens out. But then she gets in the car and then she's like, oh, I'm going to choke you. Which right then, you know, well, he's not in danger because if she's a robot and going to choke him, he's fine. Um, she continues to attempt to choke him throughout the entire scene. And I know. And succeeds at it. And, yeah, that, um, that scene goes on a little, a little too long. Yeah. How, how many times are we going to do a jump scare with a headless body trying to choke him? Which yeah. obviously the last ninety minutes, you know, that's the only choking. flaw of this movie is that oh. one scene goes on okay. a little too long. That's the only flaw. <laughs> yeah, and and speaking of the robots, why did the Germans in like the eighteen hundreds build a Betty Ross robot that was knitting? Was that ever explained? Could. That like that's the stuff I want to find out in the novelization. Was what what were the Germans doing <laughs> building robots? I, I can't I can't quote on any of that. Okay, <laughs> um, and, and we talk about Tom Atkins, so. Dude, this guy's your creepy uncle who probably served time in prison, but he's the hero of the story. Right. And um, he is gross. Like He's yeah. really gross as well. He's he's talking to the nurse at the beginning. He's like, hey, you want to take a nap? And she's like, no, doctor, I don't. And then he smacks, smacks her on the butt. Smacks her on the ass. Yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, good old sexual harassment. That guy probably got me too out of that hospital. Oh, he definitely got me too'd. And then he's going with Ellie on this road trip uh, to find out what happened. And the only thing he packs is like a six-pack of Miller beer or high life yeah so um and then when, not, then when they not get only there that he's on the phone telling his wife that he can't be with his kids because he has to run off with this girl with a six so pack of he's, beer he's the yeah. dad of the year he's yeah. he's a he's handsy so like yeah he he is not a good protagonist yeah. Oh, yeah. at all and he, he got he packs beers but no jimmy hats like <laughs> that guy's raw dogging it so well good for him and and then they get to the motel you know they're investigating this thing and he's and she's like well what do we do and he's like well it's getting late and I need a drink, so we better crash in this motel. Um, then you know, I will, I will. I will defend him. He does say maybe I should get her an, an extra, a separate room, and she says, "Well, what sense does that make?" Yeah, well, that's that's the one thing I will say is Ellie comes on to him in this movie. I will defend him in that regard. Like, oh, dude, those two are messed up. She him. has a dad issue, and he has an issue with women in general. Um, yeah. I, cause obviously he did some with the lady coroner cause they're all flirtatious and you get a, you get a hint, like maybe they were hooking up while he was married or if he's still, I don't even know if he's still married. I assume he's I not. They're divorced. They're, divorced. they're divorced. Okay. Um, you know, that's, that's a lot of stuff you could unpack there. I mean, maybe the lady in the hospital led to the divorce and then like, he just can't keep his hands off ladies. He so. definitely can't. Well, and yeah. I, I thought it was very odd where, um, he, he, he does the deed with Ellie, you know, the, the daughter of the guy that just died and he's known mm -hmm. her for what a whole two hours or something. And, um, as, as they're done, then, you know, he's like, Oh, are, are you old enough? 
<laughs> yeah, don't you ask that first? What is wrong with you? And you know, things I know I didn't need in my life, but they forced on me was a Tom Atkins sex scene. I never needed See, that. See, put a whole nipple in his mouth. Yeah, that's disgusting. I, like he. That was the most. Dis- well, that was the second most disgusting thing in the film. Um, well, the, the, well, his funny mustache thing. is number one. No, I mean they. Per- they Something pretty much wrote this entire relation. This entire relationship comes from the fog, also because the same pretty much situation, other than the dad dying, is Jamie Lee Curtis's character in the fog. I mean, it's it's beat for beat. He doesn't know how old she is. It's just it's the same thing. Like they they hit that story beat in two different movies with Tom Atkins. Uh, yeah, and then so you've you've got these robots that are not intimidating at all, nor scary, especially if they're going to choke you. You're fine. You got this guy who's supposed to be your hero, and he's just, oh, I mean, I want to, like, take a shower after watching him. Then you get Cochran in this whole elaborate plan. So you you want to put a mask on all the kids, use the Stonehenge thing, and melt their faces and turn them into bugs and snakes. Then oh, have let's the- not even talk about the fact that how did they get this piece of Stonehenge <laughs> that weighs 500 tons or whatever it is they describe it as in the beginning of this movie. I have they never explained no that. idea. He, just, he has this throwaway line that he's like, how we got it here is something of a feat. And that's all they say about it. <laughs> yeah, I had to. So when this movie starts, I'm like telling my wife, like, hey, pay attention to this news story about Stonehenge <laughs> yeah. because yeah. it comes back. And it's like she looks at me as like, what? And I'm like, yeah, just. Just watch. And, and what's the plan here? So do they replace everybody with robots? Is is that the goal? Because they replaced Ellie. So is his goal to replace all the parents with robots because no. the kids are dead? No. My my take on Ellie is just they, I don't know how they did it in such a small amount of time, but they replaced her with an android just to kind of get, to, 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 to take him out or to, to, to help fight against Tom Atkins' character. Okay. Uh, makes no sense. And, and, you know, I'm sure you've got more to say, Troy, but for everything you're saying about the problems this movie has is exactly why I love it. So much. No, no, no. I, I, was I, she a robot the whole time? That's I, what my question was. No. Um, uh, no. <laughs> Come on. No. I don't think she is. No, I, I always have that question. It. I'm like. He would have known. When he's hitting, he would have known. Like, <laughs> and, and I get that. I, I get that watching a film like this would be perfect on Mystery Science Theater, I think. Uh, this you would know, be a perfect sequel to Class of 1999 if you want to get technical. Uh, you got Android teachers even, working for the government. Like, yeah, <laughs> even that's a better film. I mean, <laughs> Halloween 3 is just, uh, you know, I get the things are out there and it doesn't make sense and your villain's not really villainous because he's just sprouting stuff like, hey, uh, we got to kill all these children because the planets are aligning and we got to sacrifice them. And it's like, well, well why? And why well, are you building robots? Lost, and they, They've lost the true meaning of Halloween. Halloween is... For us, about kids putting on masks and going out and getting candy, for his people, it was something completely different, murderous, and did not hold a good tradition for them. I can see that aspect of it, but it, you know, it, it, it. Just, everything you're saying here, Troy, has weight to it. I'm not arguing. Uh, no, no, no. I, it, but my point to this is, in a group of people calling these things out and going, "Oh my God, did you see this? Did you see that happen?" I, I mean, it is a collection of special effects in really dumb scenarios with really dumb people, dumb heroes, dumb villains. None of it makes sense. Not, not the, why people do things makes no sense. 
And so it feels like I said, four scenes removed from a scary movie six or something of that nature. Um, and I almost am wondering, is this a parody? So it was, was this film supposed to be, cause I can't imagine people were writing a script or filming something this terrible and not kind of behind the scenes going, let's do a parody of invasion of the body snatchers to a certain degree. I won't say that it was meant as a parody. I will, I will go on record and say it was written to be very tongue in cheek. Yeah. yeah that's, I'll, I'll get behind yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I see that. Uh, and I, I would say that now it comes down to how good is the craftsmanship of making it tongue in cheek and still entertaining from a viewing perspective. Yeah. There, there's, there's no horror element here outside of the gross effects. I mean, it's, it really comes down to, You've got, um, well, you were asking the question, like, if you see something happening to a kid and you're a father, would it affect you? Well, yeah, if, if I actually thought, like, the kids were in danger or I didn't, I, I had some kind of emotion to the kids. But, I mean, all the kids that they're frying, it's like, well, that kid was a jerk anyway. So, um, I, there's there's nothing. Yeah, it does turn into Willy Wonka in this, in this uh, yeah, these two, like, they get the tour and then. It's a weird, yeah. it's just a weird film. Um, and you know, the other thing that doesn't help is uh, that the music has an electro synth vibe, which you expect from Carpenter, but there's this pew pew like sound every time there's a jump scare. And then in the back half of it, you get part of the movie soundtrack sounds like your smoke detector going. I literally thought my smoke detector was going off when he's trying to escape from the robots after the kidnap Ellie. Because you get that that smoke detector sound, and I'm like, is is that going off somewhere in my house? I'm like, oh wait, that's I kinda, the soundtrack. I kind of love I kind of love this music. Oh, I'm the music! I, it's I the worst music. Carpenter score. It really got on my nerves. I, um, I love it, and I, I don't know if it's how they used the music in conjunction of the film with the jump scares, or if it was the um, smoke detector going off. But uh, I, this this film, I love watching with a group. I. I had a rough time watching it by myself because, and here's the thing, you can sit here and say, well, you can't criticize a film for plot holes. It's got to have all these other things or elements. Like anybody can be a movie critic if they're just picking apart the plot holes. I totally agree with that. I literally said that to you in a text. You did. You did. You said that to me in a text and I would go, you know what? You're absolutely right. But here's the thing. There's no thrills. There's nothing identifiable from a character like um, that you can relate to. Uh, this is, uh, if you don't like the scary movie, uh, analogy, then great. It's, it's the equivalent of a Looney Tunes cartoon. It just happens to be a very long Looney Tunes cartoon. And, um, this movie would be great, uh, in maybe sporadic doses and it's great with a group, but as a film by itself, from a narrative standpoint and from a, like a horror comedy or horror parody or whatever the hell it's trying to be, it's hot garbage. It it's terrible. I agree, but I it's love it. awesome. And I love it. <laughs> yeah. And I, I get that. It's like, I'm with you guys. If I were watching it, I, like I said, the first 20 minutes, I had a blast. I had a blast watching it at Mondo. I did not have, I, I just realized how much I didn't like watching this movie by myself. Like, I'm like, why am I, why am I watching this by myself? I should be watching this with other people. Cause I would have fun with it. But, um, this is one of the few movies, um, chopping mall is a great example. I think chopping mall is a better film than Halloween three, because even watching it on its own, the way that the story plays out and even the narrative or class of 99 or any of the films we talked about, 
I, I think they just, they're, it's a better film. Like cohesively, it makes more sense and it has a good narrative and, uh, it's, well, and, it sticks and I'll to take it. Barbara, I'll take Barbara Crampton over Tom Atkins any day. So yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just crazy. It's, it's crazy to me how uh, we watched microwave massacre <laughs> this weekend, which is terrible. <laughs> that movie, you get frosty, the snowman, just like, I can't watch frosty snowman anymore because we watched microwave massacre. But I, I find this has a lot of similarities to Microwave Massacre where, where it's just scene after scene. You're like, what the hell's going on? And it's terrible. But we had a blast watching Microwave Massacre because we're watching with like six or seven people making fun of it. No, I can I can agree with you there because I, I'll, I'll fully admit watching it to come on the show today and talk about it with you guys. Like, like I, I mentioned a little while ago. It's tough to get through the beginning of this movie because it's a very slow slog to oh, kind of yeah. get things jumped off and started. But, you know, I I can just sort of forgive it for its faults and, and get engulfed in it and, and still watch it. I would probably have a lot more fun watching it with a group of people. I mean, I guarantee you if the three of us got in a room together and watched it together. Oh, I'd love we it. We'd have a blast. I would love it. Yeah. Yep. No, but, I, I. Yeah. Go ahead, Josh. Finish your thought. I, I lost it. So. Okay, sorry. I interrupted you. It's no, okay. I, I see your point, Troy, and I, I don't have anything to counter your argument. I just think this movie is awesome. And the same reason I love chopping malls, the same reason I like this, it's just so dumb. And maybe I have a thing for robots and horror films. Like give me robots in head trauma and I'm in like, that's all I need. Um, I don't know. We smell like pepperoni. And I can't put my, (laughs) I can't put my finger on it, but like chopping mall has a charm to it. And I don't know if it's the characters Mm. or, if it comes down to just it, it's an easier story to follow and digest. The fact that you are so confused on what's going on or, or why Cochran's doing, I, th- I think that does get in the way of some enjoyment of this compared to other stories that maybe have a more simple plot. Chopping Mall, Chopping Mall still feels like a slasher movie when you're watching it. Yeah. Whereas Halloween 3, like you said, feels more like a sci-fi horror movie that doesn't have that slasher element going for it. It's really more of a mystery, sci-fi mystery sort of thing. Like, is there any to... blood in, I know there's like gore, but is there like blood? You know you what I'm get, saying? You get brief gl- gl- glances of gore within like, when he tears the head off of the guy, you can yeah. see yeah. some blood in that. Oh, scene. there is some bl- gushing yeah. of blood at one point. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the, the special it, effects in here are pretty impressive for 1982. I'll say, I'll say that. I mean, the yeah. stuff they show off with the you kind of talked about the laser beam that goes to the to the girl in the hotel is gruesome. Just the makeup effects on her face are, yeah. are horrifying, and I love the scene of the kid in the in the in the glass in the, the observation room when they're showing uh, Dan what what they're planning to do with these masks, and that mask starts to melt on his face, and he's pulling away at it, and then just the that first visual our first time seeing that visual of the kid's face sort of melting and the bugs coming out and then the snakes coming out i was like this is fucking horrific like yeah. i hate i hate snakes so that made it even worse for me but i was like i was like wow like that is bizarre like i would have never thought in a million years watching this movie the first time that i was going to see a kid's face melt and snakes and bugs were going to come out of it that's kind of why it makes this movie awesome. It's right. It, it goes to these places. She's like, how? How do they get to this point? Like most movies, like his head would explode or something like that. They're like, no, no. Bugs and snakes come out of it. And 
then a snake will bite the dad and he will die. And then I guess the mom has a heart attack. Maybe. I don't know, but yeah, yeah they, they disregard her. They're like, Oh yeah, she's dead. We don't care how we, she just, we, she's dead. Well, so that makes it, that's makes a Like that sequence I think is kind of terrifying and it makes logical sense, but you get to Cochran's death. And next thing you know, he throws a bunch of badges down. Then the computers make a blue light and then there's yeah. a blue laser. It comes from Stonehenge. It hits his head and then he goes all white and blows up or disappears no one fucking sense whatsoever and you will get scenes like that in scenes like the one we just talked about when they're doing the tv commercial and the kid's head like goes to mush Mm -hmm. and those are in the same film and one of them is kind of like wow that that's kind of gruesome and terrifying and the other one you're like what in the hell's going on and it's that scene of what in the hell's going on detracts and i think takes away from the other scene because for every scene you kind of go Oh wait, something just happened in the motel room and her and her face just, you know, melted or whatnot. You get a couple scenes after that, like, this is dumb. This is like really dumb. And then you get another scene where you go, well, that's kinda I mean, for for every one kind of gruesome, good, almost thrilling scene, it's layered in with five just junk. And it's uh, man, without it without a group, it's hard to get through that junk. Josh, tell the part about the novelization and I'll tell the other part. Yeah, the, so you mentioned Conquering's death, and mm-hmm. that is something they, that they did a little differently in the novelization. It's left open-ended with him. It, it's, it's basically they explain it that he the, the, the power of Stonehenge somehow transports him away, and it's left open-ended if Conquering is dead or alive. But you're to presume he is still alive, and he has been transported out of the room from the Stonehenge thing. So that's one difference. And then the ending is also, it's not different, but it confirms something that you may have questions about. Yep. Okay. What's that? Brad. He fails. They fail to turn off the commercial and it happens. Okay. So whereas I find it to be a whole lot more intriguing to leave it on a cliffhanger, the way they end it. And you don't really know you're, you're to presume that they fail and that all these kids die. In the novelization, they they solidify that for you. Oh no, he failed. The kids are dead. But that that's just they, that's like the California, like Pacific or West Coast. No, that time. would be East Coast because they're earlier. Huh? Oh yeah. Nine o'clock Eastern time would be six o'clock. I West didn't Coast say time. that they explained the time zones, guys. <laughs> yeah. I just said that they failed. So the, the UK is okay, is really right? The biggest thing about this movie that makes no fucking sense whatsoever. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what the end game here was because once you yeah. find out, wait a minute, that thing's turning kids. I mean, yeah, we'll take the ma- don't watch that commercial, take the mask off. Yeah, maybe we should uh, stop that commercial playing. I want Halloween three part two, like forty years later, where like there was this like mass murder of children, and I want that movie. It's kind of like, like Cochran it, comes back, and it's kind of like the Why the Last Man, but it's Halloween. Yeah. Have you guys been watching that show? Why the last? Yeah, it got canceled, man. Yes, dude. I'm so bummed out. I hope somebody picks it up. But that show was fantastic. I hate getting invested in a show and then like they're like, nope, no more. And you're like, well, it was so good. I stopped watching it. I was like, I don't even want to continue to watch it if it's not going to keep going. Like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I I will say there is one shot in this film that I think is one of the best shots in the entire Halloween franchise. And when they're going through the sequence and showing all the kids trick-or-treating, and this is pure Dean Cundy, right? So you get Phoenix, Arizona, 
And this shot is gorgeous where the kids are walking the Halloween mass and in the background is this like deep sunset. And then you see the city lights coming up on Phoenix. And that's like on some of the covers, isn't that? The, yeah, they yeah. use that on the covers. Yeah. But when you see the shot play out in the film, it mm-hmm. is jaw dropping. I mean, it's gorgeous. It's so good and it's creepy and it doesn't belong in this thing. But um, yeah, technically those kids, no. would be, they would be just fine because they're on they're no, a few that, hours behind. So, you know, whatever. That shot belongs in E.T., honestly. Yeah. It, it does. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's an example of like you, you get to that part of the of the film and, and here comes, you know, these shots of the city. And then that one shows up. Phoenix, and you're like, wow, where did this like did somebody like slip and accidentally drop this shot in this film? <laughs> because it, it doesn't I mean, play out. It's Steen Cundy. Yeah, for I, sure, I know. But, it, it's amazing. And we haven't even talked about the song yet. We haven't talked about song. London Bridge is they, falling down. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. That's 14, 14, 15 times in this movie. Literally, there's a scene where they do it and then they the next scene starts and then they do it again. And you're like, oh, mm-hmm. boy. They're going to keep doing this. I, that's I, that's why I almost think I, like, is this, is, I is this a parody? Is this a parody? No, I, I, I'm, I love the song. I, I, they could, they could play it 15 more times in the movie and it wouldn't bother me. I don't know yeah. why it's annoying as fuck really, but like it's, I'm sorry for everyone that's listening. That's children. If I'm cussing too much, but, oh, no, no, you're um, fine. <laughs> but <laughs> like children listen to the show. Come on, Josh. No, um, but no, like, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I don't know why. I mean, it should annoy me to no end, but every time it plays in this movie, I'm just like, oh yeah, I'm just kind of bopping along with it. It doesn't bother me at all. I, Agreed. Agreed. I, so I, I, have a, I have a question. Um, if uh, if a homeless person or a hobo, can you said I can't use the word gypsy. Can I use the word hobo? Sure, man. Okay. So if a hobo jumped out, Romani, Romani. if a Romani jumped out, uh, and you're, you're walking down, you know, the street with your bottle of favorite booze, right? And, uh, oh, and he asks for a drink. And he goes, Hey, can I have a drink of that? Would, would you let him or her drink from your bottle? And would you then drink out of that same bottle after them? I mean, I would consider it had he not thrown in, Hey, I don't have any diseases or anything. Can I have a sip of that? Yeah. <laughs> It's like when someone says, I'm not lying to you, you automatically know they're lying to you. So, yeah, if a guy says, I don't have any diseases, that guy's got gonorrhea. Yeah. Okay. So, Brad, I, it, when you, to me, I saw... But does the alcohol kill everything? I don't know. I was, I was talking about Brad moments, you know, the other day. Like, yeah. I, now I watch a film and I'm like, oh, that's a Brad moment. Because the minute that that scene happens, I'm like, Brad is probably on the ground, like, just in fetal position, crying after your uh, Golden Corral story and your your yeah. hate of buffets, I'm like, yeah. that has to be the most disgusting thing in the film for you. No, it's 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 pretty atrocious. Like, you cannot share anything with anybody ever, but let alone someone that you don't know and who is homeless and is asking for a drink. And then you just open it up and you're like, sure, man, why not? If he does that, you give that drink to him and say, okay, I will go back to the liquor store. And buy <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is yours now. I wouldn't drink after that. No, no that but, bottle's ruined. Yeah, yeah. But it was curfew, so he had to get on back. Oh, boy. The one thing about that scene is it plays out. <clears throat> excuse me. The one thing about that scene that plays out is he gets the – he gets – he gets his drink from Dan. He goes on, and then the androids find him, and that's where they proceed to tear his head off. But if you watch that scene from a distance and the shot of one of them holding the guy and then Dick Warlock's got his head and he's trying to, like, jostle it off of his body, it looks like some um, <laughs> He's earning another dollar, huh? yep. Yep. <laughs> He's trying to get another dollar. Yeah, he's, yeah, trying, to, like, yeah, he's uh, trying to make some money. 
I was like, Dick Warlock's getting some killer head right now. <laughs> In uh, more ways than one. <laughs> hey, Dick, you got any crack? I suck your stamina. <laughs> <laughs> well, you I don't have not. any diseases. Yeah, I don't have any. Yeah, that's when, <laughs> I'm good. That's I don't when have you any diseases. Really be yeah. Hey, I don't got any diseases. So I, I, I agree with everything. I mean, I think you said, Ajay, if the three of us were to sit down and watch this, I would have a ball with this film. Um, watching it by yourself and, and trying to kind of judge it uh, just as like a piece of entertainment, I think it's hard to do on your own, which leads me to a question I have for both of you. So this film, when it came out in 82, I mean, everybody just kind of took a dump on it. And even the audience score, Brad, is super low for this. However, within the horror community, you will see a lot of people who love this thing. Um, I know uh, over the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, I think Will like has a has a huge um, love for this film. And I think it's like his favorite Halloween film. Yeah, it's great. And what's what's amazing is I will see these lists, and you talked about this, Josh, when people will do rankings of Halloween films, they'll be like, well, Halloween 3 is the best one. So... I have a question about this film specifically, and I, I want to run a theory by you and you guys tell me if I'm crazy. Okay. So there, there's a point in time when everybody became a film critic and movies became super accessible. Would, would you agree with that statement? Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. So cult films, forgotten bombs, you know, the, the stuff that we would watch. Maybe and everyone started a damn podcast. Yep. Everybody started yep. a damn sure. podcast. Yep. There's like 2.4 billion podcasts out there. Right. So, uh, the mainstream audience started to get access to this and then technology and the internet sort of leveled the playing field for all film fans, uh, which meant everybody could then participate in the discussions like auteur theory and, um, I mean, really, you could see everything from a particular artist or creator, and then you could have this discovery or journey uh, and and, kind of do deep dives on stuff that before, let's say, you know, 80s, that was a little bit hard to do, especially when the internet was around. So now, when you were doing your fanzine and all this other stuff, uh, or, you know, on the lookout for the Holy Grail VHS or video CD or Laserdisc or, you know, stuff before maybe the era of DVD streaming, et cetera, you had a unique voice and you could champion films that nobody else saw. And then people would gravitate to your opinion because you were pointing things out that just wasn't available to people. And it was a new discovery, but now your unique voice is getting drowned out by everybody because everybody has access to the films that you've seen with me so far. Yeah. Okay. Um, and there aren't any hidden gems anymore. So your unique view on something isn't really unique anymore because everybody has not, or everybody has seen that film that you're talking about or has kind of gone through this auteur's history and they're starting to make the same statement. So what do you do as a film critic or a wannabe film critic? Um, You pick something not popular and you champion it over some particular detail and then you elevate that detail over the quality of the film and maybe even the narrative competency um, and it's, it's almost contrarian, right? So you have this unique voice again, and even though the movie as a whole is terrible, um, but your contrarian opinion sticks out. It gives you your voice and people are paying attention to you. So this is why I think reevaluations of film are kind of tricky in today's environment, 
some movies are way ahead of their time when they came out and they need to be championed. I think something like uh, if we're talking Carpenter, uh, Big Trouble in Little China. I, I think it was fantastic then. I think it's fantastic now. It's it's way better quality of film than I would say 80% of the stuff that comes out in theaters even today. But some are bad then and really aren't that great now, except as a fun view to see what was going on in that time period. And I think that's Halloween three season of the witch in 2021. I really think now I'm going to preface this. It's all subjective. You love what you love and you can have a ton of fun. And, And I would even say this movie is a great watch with a group of people, but it wasn't a good movie in 82. It's not a good movie now as a film. Uh, it, it's up there with Microwave Massacre and all those other kind of low-grade horror, comedy, par- whatever it is. Um, and I appreciate the Halloween series. I've talked about this for all the stuff that it's doing. But do you think, and, and that, that's my two cents on this film, is I think people champion Halloween 3 because they may have a lot of fun with it and they go, Oh, well, here's the thing. Here's this small detail. None of it makes sense, but it's super fun. And that makes it like one of the best Halloween films ever. And I'm like, Oh, okay. So you're taking a different stance on it. You're totally ignoring the fact that it's just an atrocious film, but that becomes your unique voice out of this whole mainstream film critic thing that's going on. Mm, I, I view it this way. You've had people for 40 years claiming how good the original Halloween movie is. Mm-hmm. And for almost 40 years, people claiming how much of a piece of garbage Halloween 3 is. We've, we've determined Halloween 3 is garbage, but there's sort of a, a, a genuineness to it for me that makes it good garbage, not necessarily hot garbage. But then you've also got people who are in their 20s right now who have not grown up watching these movies and don't have that affinity for someone like Michael Myers in the original Halloween movie. Don't realize why it's special because of of it being less is more. And, you know, that's why you have all these people now. They're like, oh, Rob Zombie's Halloween so much better than the original. Halloween 3 is best the best Halloween movie because the other ones are just so so terrible. But like you've got contrarians now that are just doing it for the sheer fact of everybody talks all this great stuff about Halloween and how great Halloween is when uh, I think Halloween 3 is better than Halloween. You know, I can completely get behind some people that are not going to like the original Halloween because if you watch that movie now as a 20-year-old or a 19-year-old or a 15-year-old, whatever it is, that movie is slow. It doesn't move at a pace that you're used to in this day and age. I can see people having problems with that. You get something that's absolutely bonkers and completely left field like Halloween 3, and you see that, and you go, this is a part of the same franchise? I love this. This is way better than that guy who just walks around in the dark stalking people. So you have to take in the generations that are coming into watching these movies in that regard. I think there are a lot of contrarians out there now that are just saying shit like that because they want to be different than everybody else. And they didn't grow up watching these movies from when they were released to, 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 to now to see what that generational gap was between all these movies. See, and the only, the only problem I have with your statement is I can't compare this film to the other Halloween films I, in my head, compare it to like 1978's Invasion of the Body Snatchers or 56 Invasion or Abel Ferrer's Body Snatch. Any Invasion of the Body Snatchers film that's out there 
or um, Invaders from Mars or any of like the pod people films, that's where this movie belongs versus the Halloween films because I don't think this is a slasher film. I think this is an Invasion of the Body Snatchers clone. I, I completely agree with you, but uh, to to my point, you know, you've got this new generation of people who are only lumping it into the Halloween series because it's part of the Halloween series. It says Halloween on the box. Oh, I get, I get that. But to me, again, it goes back to that whole, if you take this film as a film, as a piece of narrative, I find that most of the arguments that come out that champion this thing will be just, it, it's all this. Well, it's critic proof. You you can't you can't go back and look at this thing because you can put holes in everything. No, no, no. It's it's a dumb. It's not a good film. You can have fun with it, but you can't for the I I just don't think if you want to hold any kind of um integrity in your view of grading a film for a film, you can't say that this thing is better than 1978 Halloween. But but what's the so there's different categories I put films in depending on what box I want to check. Sure. There's smart sci-fi. There's dumb sci-fi. Like uh, there's smart horror. Uh, you know, Midsommar, uh, Hereditary. Like those are different horror films, and they they check a different horror box. Um, this checks a different horror box for me. I would never say it's a good movie. But at the end of the day, I want to be entertained. I want to have fun. If I'm checking those boxes, there are times when I want to watch a movie, I want to be like moved or I want to feel some sort of emotion. Here, when I watch Season of the Witch, I want to have fun, and that succeeds at doing it. Um, now, like something like, and it's a different category of movie, but like something like Forrest Gump like is considered one of the greatest films of all time. Um, I go back and watch it now, and I'm like, I think it's a little cheesy. Like, yeah, it's, it's fine. And it is what it is. Um, but it's cheesy and it's pretty much just like, it's just too easy. Right. It's, 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 it's playing emotion, but it's doing it in the easiest way possible. Um, and I would much rather watch something like season of the witch than watch Forrest Gump because I have a way better time watching season of the witch. I know that sounds crazy, but it's just that if I'm in the mood for something like that, that's exactly where I'm going. Um, Chopping Mall is another one. Chopping Mall is not a good movie, I, and, but I and I you, think it's fantastic. And I'm and I'm not disagreeing with that, but th- this is that where eighty it, minutes. Yeah, this is where it's clouded. Is is it comes down to I'm specifically calling out anybody who would say from from a ranking perspective, if you're going to say the Halloween franchise or horror films in general, not Force Gump, Force Gump. You can't make that comparison. Two two different types of films are going for two different things. This film is specifically going for the horror genre. I don't think it's going for horror comedy, even though it is a horror comedy. It's not a good horror film. It is a fun movie to watch and make fun of, but it's not a was, good horror film. Was Jackson Pollock a good artist? Was Jackson Pollock a good artist? Yeah. Would you consider Jackson Pollock a good artist? Yes. Okay. Some people would consider him not to be a very good artist. They consider what he did was just throwing paint on a canvas. Sure. Um, and then some people will basically dissect what he did. It was like, no, actually he's doing this to get the paint to do this and that and the colors and all this stuff. 
you could look at a Jackson Pollock on the surface and say, that just looks like a bunch of paint. Now I'm not saying that season of the witch is a Jackson Pollock, but I'm just saying that like, you can appreciate things on different levels. You can, um, but and, if, and you're, again, if, I'm you're, not, if you're grading it as a horror film, I don't know how anybody can come back and say, this is a good horror film. I think good is just subjective. If it gets everything is subjective, everything yeah. is subjective, I mean, but I think there is, a, there is a clear argument for why this isn't a good horror film. It is a good I mean, dumb I, film I, and everything I personally, else. I personally know a person that has the room on their top five list of all time. It's simply because he sees that movie in a different light than we all do. Sure. And that's, that's the kind of the joy of being your own person is you can feel that way about a movie. That means nothing to some people, but everything to you. Um, you can say the same kind of thing for something like Eraserhead. I know someone who claims that Eraserhead is the best movie of all time. I can put you in a room with 900 people and 899 of them are going to tell you, no, this movie does not even deserve to be close to the top movie of all time. So that's the fun part about movies. And now, especially with the internet and everybody being a critic and everybody having a podcast and talking about movies (laughs) is we can talk about why our opinions are different. And yeah, I mean, the other thing you say about you know lumping this in with Invasion of the Body Snatchers is I would I would challenge you to find someone who's actually seen <laughs> Invasion of the Body Snatchers over this. Like I think this gets lumped in with Halloween, therefore it's more recognizable and more popular. I don't think someone in in a in a newer generation watching horror movies from an older time would consider watching Invasion of the Body Snatchers over this. I feel like this has more of a popularity growth than something like that 1978 Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I think Invasion of the Body Snatchers is fucking amazing, but I, I can guarantee, I guarantee you people will not that is that an, now. That is an interesting, because I, I do agree with you. If you look at uh, Shout Factory as an example, how many times that they put this film out? Um, and they're putting it out to a group that um, it's the same group that's buying. It's the Brads of the world who have bought it like nine times. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, I want. I want. Oh, yeah, like I, I'm the only one guilty of that. No, no, okay? no. I only buy one copy, and that's it, man. <laughs> yeah, I want. I want the Scream Factory special edition of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and it's out of print, and they're probably not going to redo it because nobody bought it. Yeah. No, no. no, no I, I, I. Well, I, I'm I think, not saying this film is critic proof. Like yes. it is not. And me neither. Me neither. Looking at a film critically, I, I see your point. Like critically, if you look at this thing, it's a mess. Script is terrible. The plot is nonsensical. Uh, and and I the think character character development not really there. Like all yes, all your main points where you're checking to say is this movie good critically? And that's but what this I'm is no. still a better movie than Halloween Resurrection. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I, yeah, maybe, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Honestly, I'd have to go back and look at how I don't remember liking Halloween resurrection at all, but, um, I, I would kind of 90% of my body says, yep, that's a true statement. But the other 10% is like, you should watch it again. Um, No, don't watch it again. It's fucking garbage. (laughs) But, but I think that's my point, Brad is like, I totally agree with everybody. Like you're absolutely right. Film is subjective, et cetera. And when you, when you look at a film and you go, well, I like it because of all these things. I go, I agree with you hundred percent. You like it, you know, the room eraser head, all those things. Awesome. But there does come a time when you take a step back and go, are you grading this based on your viewing experience? And are you grading this based on, um, what your reaction is 
to all of the scenes that are going on in there. I mean, we can talk Argento. You don't like Argento. I do. We have a different reaction to it. But I think we could sit down and talk about Argento and from a let's talk about it from a craftsmanship, um, from a filmmaking perspective. You and I would agree on some Argento films and go, that's just junk. Um, Inferno is a great example. I can't defend Inferno from a quality narrative, but can I, I can defend it in terms of how it makes me feel in some of the visuals. Um, but I think you and I would look at something like Deep Red and go, you know, from a story structure and some of the performance, that's not too bad. That's a That's pretty strong. And I think what happens with Halloween 3, at least my perspective of what I see on this reevaluation of this film is there's a blurring that's occurring where somebody's reevaluating this and taking details of this film and elevating it and saying, well, it's better than all these other films from a competent filmmaking perspective, these little small details. And in my head, I'm like, I don't disagree that you had a lot of fun watching that film, but I do take notion that you can sit there and tell me that this is a better made film than the one that's made in 1978 generational or, or not. If you're actually measuring something based on the things that a film is supposed to do, um, this one doesn't compare. Now, if you're going to say, Hey, I had a much better time with this one over Forrest Gump or, you know, Halloween or whatever. And it's my favorite thing to watch. I agree with you. Cool. It's a lot of fun, especially the group of people, but I do sort of take aim on anybody who tackles Halloween three from a critical perspective and then tries to raise that, at a higher plateau than the first Halloween 1978 on an actual filmmaking perspective. That is just dumb. Well, I mean, that's essentially what we're here to do is talk about those things. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole point behind all the podcasts we do is talking about that stuff. I mean, I have very different opinions on Mad Max Fury Road than most people do. I do not think that movie is as great as everybody else thinks it is. But that's my opinion, and that's what I get out of it. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's just – you're, like, you're the one person that doesn't like Jurassic Park. Yeah, that, that one is amazing. Like, And Jaws is one of your favorite films, and you're like, I don't like Jurassic Park. Like, I just want to spend a couple hours dissecting your brain on that one. They're like the same damn movie. <laughs> they are. They're like the same damn movie. I don't understand. Yeah. But, that's, like but that, that's another episode. But I, I get yeah. that, and I, I that's, the, that's why I love doing this podcast is because – and, and again, I'm not trying to take a stance here, like play both sides and go, well, everybody's right. Da, da, da. I'm going to be the guy that goes, everybody, if you want to talk all day long about how much fun this is to watch, I agree with you hundred percent. But the more that I read on the reevaluation of this and come across some articles that kind of elevate this thing to um, kind of that auteur theory and car, I'm like, no, you're stretching. Well, wasn't, that, wasn't that the thing with episode one? Yeah. Like we all agree that Episode one has a lot of problems. Yes. Lots of problems. It's got some high points. It's got problems. Yeah. Lots doesn't, of problems. Doesn't keep me from rewatching it every yeah, time exactly. I watch Star Wars. Ex- exactly. I, I get that 100%. But, but we, it, can, yeah. we can, critically, we can say, you know what? It's not a great movie. It's a cool Star Wars movie, and it's cool to be in that universe, but it's probably not. Let's not, def- let's not die on that hill yeah. saying that episode two, episode one is, is great. No, I mean, I think Troy ultimately is saying, I don't see how anyone could rank this movie higher than some of these other movies. And yeah. and I agree. There's no way that this movie, from a filmmaking standpoint, from a storytelling standpoint, from all kinds of standpoints, is better than Halloween 78 or Invasion of the Body Snatchers. No, you're, you're absolutely correct there. Um, but, you know, ultimately, I'm coming into this just in how much fun I have watching this movie. Yeah. I can completely agree with you that this movie is hot garbage in some respects, but... 
it's hot garbage in the best ways for me because I would much rather watch this than something that I just get absolutely no joy out of watching. I can't think of a movie right off the top of my head right now, but um, you know, I, 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 you know, Jurassic Park is a hot topic with me. But yes, I mean, Jurassic Park's a better movie than this. You know, I mean, but it still doesn't take away from the fact that I love watching this movie. It's just fun. No, and I and I'm I my comments are not to take anybody's enjoyment. Like I don't want to tell anybody. Well, because you had a lot of fun watching Alan Wing Three. You don't know what you're talking about. That's not what I'm saying. Right. What I am saying though is, if you sit down and critically evaluate this thing, and you're telling me that it's better than Halloween 1978, okay, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, yeah. now that's an entirely that like, I'm, I know that's a bold statement, but I did my own research, Troy. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> this, this isn't Siskel yeah. and Ebert, Troy. Yeah. This is not a bomb podcast. I know. But what I, what I like about talking about these films, especially with you two, I feel like I could raise this question with you guys and we can have a good dialogue. Like th- that's my thesis is, man, I, I can't wrap my head around people who elevate this thing on a critical perspective. And I really think it comes down to, okay, this whole internet thing was just the great level playing field. And now you have people who are like, Oh, I want to get a little bit of attention. So I'm going to try and take Halloween three and elevate it to the critical status of 1978. And I'm like, okay, that is a foolish endeavor because yeah. it makes no logical sense. Now, I, if you want to say yeah, we made had, Armand white a celebrity and that was a problem. Yeah. And now if you want to come back and say, I had more fun watching this than the 1978, because I'd be like, yeah, I agree with you hundred percent. Like, get your own six pack of Miller high life and you'll have a blast with Halloween three. But I, I think, I, I think my biggest, def, you know, come to defense for this movie was just the, the hate that it got over all the years because of the simple fact that it's not a Michael Myers movie. Um, yeah. It, you know, it, I, I, I think there's merit to judge it on other than the fact that it's part of a Halloween franchise and that you're going to completely just disregard it because it's part of that franchise, but it doesn't relate to it in any way. That's what I really take issue with is I'm kind of I'm I'm ashamed that I disregarded this movie for so long because of that very thing. I let the 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 in crowd uh, tarnish my opinion of a movie that I could have made my own opinion on years ago. Um, You know, a case in point, Brad will probably relate to this pretty well. Someone told me before I saw Kill Bill that Kill Bill was garbage and that I shouldn't go see Kill Bill. And at that point in time, I was enamored with Tarantino. I had seen Pulp Fiction and it blew my mind. Um, And I was very, I was looking forward to everything that Tarantino wanted to bring me at that point. But then I got someone that I worked with at the time was like, oh man, Kill Bill is terrible. Don't go see that. Don't go see that. And I took that person's word and did not see Kill Bill. Watched Kill Bill, and, and, and it's funny, when, when I saw Kill Bill for the first time, Kill Bill 2 had just been released in theaters. I, I rented Kill Bill. I was like, ah, well, this guy told me it was bad, but no, let's watch it anyway. I watched Kill Bill, immediately turned it off, and went to the theater and saw <laughs> Kill Bill 2 because I was like, this was <laughs> fucking amazing. Like, I, at that, yeah. that was like a turning point for me. It was like, I am not going to... I'm not going to trust anybody else's opinion. If I really want to see something, I'm just going to see it and form my own. Right. I'm kind of jealous of your viewing of kill bill. Cause you like saw kill bill and then immediately got to go see kill bill too. So like you didn't have to wait, you have to wait. That's actually, that's impressive. Kind of awesome. Yeah. You saw the I whole mean, bloody I, affair. <laughs> yep. And it was funny. Like my wife can attest to that. Like we finished kill bill and literally the next day I was like, we are going to see kill bill too. Cause this was amazing. And 
I mean, it just, I, that was the experience that turned me around as, as far as that regard was like, I'm not taking anybody else's judgment of a movie to, to, to heart anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to form my own opinion. And that's that. No, it's a, it's a good point. I mean, we, we've talked about some awesome horror films, like every horror film that we talked about this month, I've had a lot of fun discussing, even though I may have looked at it and said, okay, this is a bomb or this is not a bomb, et cetera. I had a lot of fun discussing it and trying to kind of find out why something clicks with me versus when it doesn't. And in a great example to, um, like the Wolfman and, um, the Blair witch, those two films had the same problem in my opinion that there's two halves to the film and one half is really strong and the other half isn't. So it comes down to like what gave you more pleasure and what are you going to remember when you walk away? And with this one, it's interesting to kind of sit back and, and I took two things away out of this viewing. One, I don't like watching this movie by myself. I love watching it with a lot of people. Two, when I go back and do a lot of research and I see people starting to elevate this film from a critical perspective, not from a, I think this is a fun movie watch. I'm looking at this and I'm going, I don't understand. Like, I can't wrap my head around this. And I don't think it's this whole generational thing. I think it really comes down to the people that are levying that type of praise and saying that from a um, filmmaking competency standpoint, it rivals 1978. I'm looking at this going... Hey, Dean Cundy had like one good shot in this film. That's it. He had a lot of good shots in Halloween. Um, the narrative in Halloween, while basic and maybe a little slow, it's straightforward, it's comprehensible, and I think it's super spooky. Nothing, nothing. Those words don't pertain to this film. No. And and so that that was the second thing I took away is like, hey, is is something going on where contrarian uh, views like Halloween three? And you said this, Josh, Halloween three is a better film than the 1978 because of X, Y, and Z. Great. You're elevating a detail so that you have your unique voice heard again, because everybody else is not saying that. Right. Um, but in fact, it's like, look, I'll debate you all day long and win. But if you want to get into a debate over which movie is more fun, you, you win that all day long. Cause Halloween three is a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. But it's not a good and movie. <laughs> and that comes down to my ranking of the franchise. It's, you know, I take most issue with where the, the 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 dumb reasons that people put tarnish upon this movie because it's part of a franchise and it doesn't fit 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 in with that franchise. Yeah. You know, my my ranking for this movie is basically right in the middle. It was I think number five on my ranking list, and there's twelve Halloween movies. I think just because of how silly, stupid, bizarre, and off the rails this movie goes. I'm more entertained by that than some of the story plot lines they gave us in some of the Halloween sequels. So therefore, I'm going to elevate it a little higher in that list. But to say that this movie is better than the original in a filmmaking standpoint, get out of my face. Yeah, that's just <laughs> that's silly talk, that. man. That's, that person's drunk. Go home. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, I, what, other, what other notes did you guys want to share about this? I, I think you guys nailed it. I mean, it, it it is a fun movie. You can drive a semi-truck through the the story from a plot hole perspective, but um, and ultimately that, that first watch for me for on this movie, I was probably writing the line of this is good or bad. Um, I was like, I don't really, I, I kind of probably didn't know how I felt about it, but I am a sucker for downer endings. And when this movie cuts to black at the end, I was like, Oh fuck. Yes. I love this. This was great. It's stupid. <laughs> it's terrible. It's all of that in the best ways. I just love when a movie leaves me hanging like that. And I'm like, holy shit, you got me. You got me there. I, I, I just, I love that kind of shit. It's me killing kids and you downer endings, man. We're, we're twisted, Josh. Right. 
<laughs> uh, glass is half full, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that's a great disguise. I, like I said, I, I, I love talking about these type of topics with this type of film, getting a little deeper in, especially with you two, because we, we can debate and we can have, you know, a different view on it, a different take and walk away from it. And, um, and I, I love the fact that, you know, even Blair Witch, I'm ready to go back and revisit that or even Halloween kills based on, uh, people interacting either on our, our social media or sending emails or messages and going, Hey, you should take a look at it from this perspective. Or did you, you know, did you even well, think about this? And I'm like, you know what? I, I wouldn't mind rewatching that particular film with that take on it. So. I mean, I won't open this whole can of worms because it seems like you guys have a very different opinion of Halloween Kills than I do. But that movie made the 28... The problems I had with the 2018 Halloween were sort of fixed by Halloween Kills. There are certain things I didn't like about 2018 that they addressed in this movie that I that I respected. I'm still not going to walk away from Halloween Kills saying that it doesn't have problems because it's chock full of problems. But ultimately, I enjoyed that movie a lot more than some of the other movies in this franchise. Um, and everybody has their different reasons for that. I mean, there, there are people that will debate you all day long about the Rob Zombie remake. And, you know, again, movies are subjective. I find that opinion to be outlandish and stupid, but people like horror movies for different reasons. I love the original Halloween because it is reserved, because it is slow, because it is a creepy movie. And it, and it doesn't, it doesn't need to explain things away to me, and, I, and I'm perfectly fine with that. When you start doing that, that's when I have problems with things a lot of the times. And that's why I don't really care for Rob Zombie's movies is because he tried to explain to me why Halloween is scary. And, dude, I know why Halloween's scary. You don't have to explain it to me. That's, that's why I yeah. love this franchise. I, I really love the Halloween franchise because how many times have they tried to restart it? And Brad, they used like, like three, three times. times. Yeah, yeah. And now they got the cult aspect to it. You've got um, the hillbilly aspect to it. You've got the Busta Rhymes aspect to it, which is the, <laughs> you know, you, you've well, got to this. be fair. The, the cult aspect was still the uh, quote unquote, the original run of that franchise. Like right. you didn't really get a reboot for this franchise until H2O which was still relying on story beats from that original one. So uh, it, that one's even a mess. Like H2O at the time, that was the first one I saw in the theaters and enjoyed it at the time. But watching it now, it's very problematic because they don't know what storyline they're sticking with. They're taking elements from different movies and, and forgetting elements from others. But And it's a, it's, screen, it's, it's a, it's a scream knockoff too. I it mean, is. Yeah. It, 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 yeah really reminds me of Scream. And I think Kevin Williamson actually has a uncredited writing on that. So yeah, I mean, he does. Yep. And, and, you know, and then, you know, Rob Zombie, of course, we've, we've already touched on that, but I, I can kind of respect where David Gordon Green is going with this new take on it, but I'm still finding issues with the comedic beats and the dialogue and, you know, that kind of stuff. So this is something I touched on in our rankings video and with Halloween kills a little bit is I, I wonder if, I would be more happy with the fact that Halloween 78 was the only Michael Myers movie we ever got. Oh, I would love that. I, I think I remember you making that comment that imagine walking out of the theater with that ending and never getting a sequel and always thinking that the boogeyman's out there. And then let's yeah. say you go into Halloween three and that you actually got your anthology from there. That would have been mm -hmm. perfect. And um, then you could absolutely dump on Halloween three and go, this is a terrible movie because it's, you know, but, but like, in the context of a franchise where you're giving me all this Michael Myers and then they try to do something different, 
I can elevate it a little higher because of that. Yeah, but I, I think that, you that know. but that's that argument can be made for all of them, including the Rob. Like that's why I like this franchise. David yeah. Gordon Green sees, you know, Halloween Kills is mob mentality. They they actually went in a direction I didn't think that they would go to. Now the question is, did I like it? No. But whereas you thought this latest one um added to your enjoyment of 2018, maybe Halloween ends or whatever it is, uh, the third one's called. That's also what's really hard is, you know, going into these movies, knowing that there's going to be a third one and you you can't view it as a whole. You can't see where they're ultimately going with the entire story. And that's that's kind of how Halloween Kills sort of stuck with me is because it fixed some issues I had in the first movie. Maybe it'll fix the issues I have with the second movie. There's not really much to fix there for me because ultimately I think what the problem is with Halloween Kills is the script and the dialogue. And you can't fix <laughs> yeah. that with story. So And Anthony Michael you know. Hall. <laughs> Anthony Michael Hall. Yeah. Anthony Michael Hall is the worst part of that movie by far. Yeah. So well, Jamie Lee Curtis is laying down the entire time. You know, that she's, she's terrible <laughs> in that. Um okay. So I think it's time for the question. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Josh. So we just got done having a lively discussion over the non-Michael Myers Halloween 3 Season of the Witch from 1982. Josh, is this movie a bomb? This movie's totally a bomb, but I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's, you know, I don't regard it as a bomb, but I mean, I can see why people do. This this movie absolutely is the definition of bomb in regards to storytelling and script writing and filmmaking as you've as you've been saying throughout your entire discussion on it Troy but something about it just works for me and I can I can accept the fact that it's a bomb you know but it but, but yeah, for I mean, you it's a fun bomb it's a fun bomb so yeah, we're we're going to put that in the positive category it's the kind category. of bomb that when it when it goes off confetti and everything comes out okay. people don't die oh the cool bomb all right yeah, yeah. cool bomb all right Brad how about you where where are you going to place this one absolutely not a bomb absolutely not a bomb I, I love this movie. I have so much fun with it. Um, it is critic proof for me. I like, I, I see all of its faults and all of its warts. Um, but I love watching this. It's better with people. I've watched it by myself a time or two, but, um, introducing my wife to this and having to be like, it's not a good film, but it's fun. Like anytime you have to like, disclaim something before you watch it you're in for a treat so yeah it's not a bomb um it's the third best uh halloween movie so there oh wow there okay. there there one two three few, there have been a few movies where i've had to go into them with my wife and go okay here's what i need you to go into this movie thinking <laughs> <laughs> and this is definitely one of them yeah this this is weird so for me i will usually champion a film and go Okay, it has these problems, but there's these elements of it that really stick out. Might be the mood, might be the acting, the cinematography, you know. And and with this film, there's nothing, I think, from a competency, story, acting, whatever you want to call it, that I would say is good. So I really have to gauge this thing based on, okay, what's your experience when you watch this thing? Um, Because if this were playing in the theater and you had to, you know, give your money to it, then it's like, what are you going to get out of your money? So I'll put it in this category um, and maybe put an asterisk next to it. Halloween 3 is not a bomb as long as you watch it with a group of like-minded people because I don't think it's a good film and I don't think it's a competent film. However, I think it's a lot of fun to watch with a group of people and that's why I would put it in the not a bomb category 
Now, if you're watching it by yourself and you've never seen it before and you're trying to, oh, I'm going to go in for a spooky film, you'll get some kind of uh, stomach-churning gross-out effects that are pretty effective. And you get that one Dean Cundy shot that's fantastic. But I think the the rest of the film just doesn't live up to any of its promise that the plot and everything hints to. However, I would still consider this to be not a bomb because all of my viewing experiences, except for like the 108 minutes that I had by myself, I've always watched this with people and I've always had a blast watching this film. So to me, it, it definitely has that saving grace that if you can, you can watch this with a group, it's a, it's an absolute joy and it should be on your, you know, annual Halloween 31 days of horror rotation. Um, because you'll, it, it's, it's just a fun film, but it's, it's just not a good film. <laughs> so, you know, you've got, you got me thinking now, I'm wondering if that shot that you're referring to was done by a second unit DP and not Dean Cundy. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. There's it's, no way. There's no that way. That thing looked gorgeous, so, man. It looked gorgeous. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement with you guys. I just, um, I, I kind of want to, I, I guess, make my voice heard on the internet and tell all you people yeah. out there saying it's bad, to, it's better than 1978. Take your crazy pills. Stop. And get drinking. off your yard. Get off my lawn with that. That's garbage. ultimately what's been like a big challenge with us on our shows is where we were constantly going back and forth on whether or not we need a ranking system and stuff like that. And if you've listened to our show, you know that we don't, we used to kind of do a rent it, buy it, forget it sort of thing. And we've sort of, let that go by the wayside. We do our good, the bad, and the ugly, where we kind of reference what we think is good, bad, and ugly about a movie. Um, I, I kind of, I, I sorry, how'd you do the sound? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's catching on. Yep. Eric will be proud of that. Uh, but I, you know, I'm, I'm more of like, I, I don't like having to put that kind of a label on things. And I understand a lot of pe- a lot of things do that. Your show is kind of based on: is it a bomb or is it not a bomb? It's kind of a rank. Uh, uh, is it a pass or not a pass? But you know, I I try my best to go into a film just as subjective as, pos- as possible and just highlight what I like about it and what I don't. And that's really where I think a lot of translation gets mucked up on the internet, especially as people going, this is garbage, don't watch it. No, this is great, watch it. It's like, again, we've talked about being subjective the entire show. Like, I'm not going to tell you not to watch Halloween 3 because it's garbage. No, I, I think it's a fun movie to watch. Um, you know, that's where I think it gets a little toxic, especially in this day and age with the internet and everybody doing what they do on the internet. Now it's, it's, well, it's there's toxic. There's a toxicity to conversation where people just completely are saying things to say them and not really giving their true opinion about things. So well, it, it's just context, right? If you can articulate why you think something is bad or why you think something is good, I want to hear it and yeah. I want to challenge it. And I want you to challenge mine. Like if somebody's like, Troy, you're crazy. Let me explain why Halloween three is the best out of the franchise. And, and, and here's all the quantitative reasoning and, and you're missing X, Y, send it my way. I, I want to have that dialogue yeah. with somebody. But I mean, we, we, we've also like, you know, I have this trouble with Jason on our show sometimes is Jason sometimes is looking for face value entertainment in a movie. Whereas I may be looking for something a bit deeper. We may have been having this conversation on our, uh, under the skin podcast that I did with you guys. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe, you know, Troy is looking for something surface level on that movie where I am finding something completely deep and, and theological or, or, or something like that from a movie. Um, Jason argues with me all day long about hereditary and how hereditary is this shit movie. And I'm like, dude, this is not a shit movie. 
it's kind of the same discussion you're making for Halloween three here is like, you can't tell me that this is a shit movie. This movie is made so competently. Yes. The script is, is excellent. The acting is excellent. Um, but it's a shit movie to some people. Same with Midsummer. Like some people don't like to be challenged by a movie and I can, I have to understand that because I used to be that way, but now I would much rather be challenged by a movie or just give me stupid, dumb fun like Halloween three. I agree. It's well said. Yeah. Well, Brad, um, what's, uh, I was just looking, I was just looking at the list and the last time Josh was on was uh, Highlander and he didn't like Highlander. So he had to put him in the corner for like 19 episodes before he could come back. So I told uh, you guys, you I, knew time I, out now. I knew I wasn't going to be invited back for a long time for that one. <laughs> well, I, Speaking of dumb films. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so we, we had an extra Sundays usually when we record. So we would have recorded this on the 31st, which I watched this on uh, Halloween night, the 31st, which I guess is when in the film Halloween three, everything takes place. Yeah. So that's why you're getting I watched it on Saturday, which is it, in this film. It, it says Saturday, October 30th, because actually we watched it in a way where the days lined up, which was kind of cool in a way. So, oh, OK. Um, yeah. Well, what are we what are we doing next month? We, we have a theme for next month, right? Yeah. Our theme for next month is first time watches for Troy and I. So we are watching bombs that neither Troy and I have seen Um so the whole month we're we're getting some some big films off our list of shame. The first one is uh, is my film. pick, right? Yes, this is your pick. I'll yeah. let you I'll let you tell it. Oh no! So we we went through the list. We we get a lot of great uh, recommendations and suggestions like all year. And so Brad and I were putting the list together, and I think you came up with this idea for November. It was uh, you know this time last year we went through turkeys, which was a lot of fun. Um, but instead of subjecting ourselves to just intentionally terrible films that were supposed to be funny, let's go through this list and find these films that we've never seen that are huge bombs. And so I'm starting with the film that I own, have always wanted to see, and I kind of love this director, but for some reason I just never sat down to watch it. I don't know if it's the length of the film, etc. But um, we're going to talk about uh, Kevin Costner's The Postman. So we're starting there. Yeah. A 177 minute film. Yeah. It's a doozy. I'm, I'm excited. I am super excited to finally visit this thing. Uh, only because I, I mean, take dances with wolves. I, I love that film. I, I, I loved it when it came out in the theaters. I, I really enjoy it. What? You don't like dances with wolves. We're going to get into this now. I, I can't, I can't because yeah, no, it's fine. It's fine. Why? It's fine. Why? I just can't. When was the last time you had a discussion about Dances with Wolves with someone? When was the last time I had it? I don't know. Years? I just, I don't know. I just think it, I don't know. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. We, we'll talk about it next week. We'll talk yeah. about Kevin Costner in depth. But uh, yeah, we're going to start with The Postman. Because I think it had an uh, just an epic, bad performance from a box office perspective. And um, Oh, it's real bad. It's yeah. real bad. Uh, that was after Waterworld, wasn't it? No, it's... Ooh. Ooh, good question. I don't know. I thought it was actually, um, if you got to remember a time when Kevin Costner from a director and a movie star was just sitting on top of the world. And I think that's, yeah, yeah I mean, you, you haven't heard much from him in the past other than the DCEU stuff where he's Superman's dad. Like well, he's doing TV stuff now. Yellowstone. Is that right? 
I, I've been out of touch on Kevin Costner for quite some time. Yes, the Postman is after Waterworld. Waterworld was 95. The Postman is 97. So, you, you would think after Waterworld, people would have been like, do we really want Kevin Costner in a post-apocalyptic movie? Well, we, we, <laughs> Waterworld's on our list. We just didn't pick it for November because we've both seen it. So we wanted to go yeah. with something that... Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll talk love. about we'll talk about Waterworld a little bit. We'll probably talk about Dance with Wolves, Bull Durham, um, Tin Cup, all the Kevin Costner uh, goodness next week. So I would love to do a, a whole month of stuff that all of us haven't seen on our show, but it's hard. Like a lot of us have seen a big, wide array of movies, and like trying to get everybody to agree on something that we all haven't seen is is a difficult task. I feel like we should share the list right now, Brad, because we've got some epically yeah. long films. You want to go through it real quick? Yeah. So. Choi said the postman is first. Uh, then we're doing Ishtar. Um, and then we are doing Heaven's Gates. And then we are doing Black Hat. Yeah, that's the lineup for November. So um, Heaven's Gate, I know, is super long. Oh, and there's a Criterion sale going on right yes, now with Barnes & exactly. Noble. 50% off, so you can pick up Heaven's Gate if you want to own it. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Ishtar is another one that if you look at lists of uh, some of the most epic bombs out there, Ishtar always shows up. And I've never seen it. I don't think Brad has either. So I'm excited to talk about that one too. <laughs> That's the theme for the month. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, uh, and then December, we got another theme before we get into 2022. And so Brad, if anybody wants to send in recommendations or continue to add to our growing list of films that we need to talk about because they bombed, how do they get a hold of us? It's not a bomb pod at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram, uh, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, so you can reach us out. You can reach us there. Cool. Josh, let's talk VHS files podcast. Like what's going on over there, man. You got a lot of stuff going on. What now that you're done with spooky season, what are you going into? Uh, we are going into November with our first Western on the show. And, uh, we will actually be recording tomorrow. We'll be talking about a fistful of dollars. Oh, damn it. Um, that is a, that is a, a, Side of movies that I am not super familiar with. I have never seen any of the Man with No Name trilogy, so this was my first one. Oh. I just watched it today. Wow. Really? Wow. Yeah. And uh, so it's going to be fun. I, I don't know if we're going to continue to go down the Western Trail um, throughout November, but that's what we're starting with is A Fistful of Dollars. I and, thought you were uh, going to yeah. say Silverado. I was so excited, but no. Okay. Silverado <laughs> is on my list. And however, it's just one of those where it's like trying to pick a movie and everybody's like, well, let's do this. Let's do that. Silverado has come up many times. You need to just vote some people off yet. your island. That way <laughs> right. it's easier to pick movies. I think we may end up going back to the wheel of movies where we just mm. let the uh, technology pick our movie for us. That's That That was fun there for I liked. While. I liked the wheel I of movies. I did like that. Yeah. yeah, that was fun. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's where we're going for November. We just finished up Spooky Season. Uh, we just released our episode um, on The Fly, and that was our last Movie of the Week episode we did for October, and that was fun. But we are also doing video podcasts now. All, all the podcasts that we are doing from this point forward will be video podcasts, so they are available on YouTube. It's the uh, VHS Files YouTube channel is the name, and uh, yep. we've got – that's our main channel. We've also got our, our, our VHS Files podcast channel, which is the full episode. So you can get the full episode in video form on the podcast channel. And then the main channel is just for clips, highlights, and whatever random videos I do up there. You can still get us off any any place where you get your podcasts. So Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all that good stuff. And our socials are all at VHS Files Podcast. We're on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, all that good stuff. I, I will say, man, I'm I'm super impressed with your 
your YouTube channel because you're really good on camera. And as someone who is a little introverted, I uh, am very jealous of it. So, uh, yeah, I, I like to compliment you all the time because you have a nice presence on camera. Well, thank you very much. Thank you now so you much. I, I also did an episode with um, the Backlook Cinema, right? Yep. I was uh, recently on an episode with them. They were doing their spooky movies for the uh, month of October. I was on the John Carpenter uh, Vampires episode there, and that was a lot of fun talking with Zach and Zoe on that one as well. Awesome. So you're all over the place, man. I, you know, I try to take any opportunity I can to talk movies with people. I just love it. I, I, I could talk about good movies, bad movies. I just love talking about movies with people. That's what I love. Sweet. We love ha- having you on the show, man. It's it's an absolute blast. And I like the fact that we can bring somebody like you on, have fun, but then also turn the corner on the dialogue and, and have a nice little debate or get super deep, man. That, and you are no longer in timeout now, Josh. Hey, <laughs> ah, boy, here we go. <laughs> Wow. Well, I mean, you'll never do Jurassic Park on this episode, but or on this uh, particular podcast. But I, I'm I'm waiting for the day when I do get to talk about Jurassic Park with somebody. So I might I might turn a few heads on that one. But you need to pick it for your show. See how the uh, the rest of the crew crew likes it. Actually, if you listen to the Fly episode, I dropped I dropped a fuck Jurassic Park in there, and Eric was like, "Man, like it got a little heated for a few minutes." <laughs> so it might be coming up sooner than later because Eric's going to be like, you know, I have to know why you don't like this movie so much. There you go. All right, anything else, Brad? Are we good? No, no. I will uh, have Josh's YouTube stuff and podcast links in our show notes for anyone who wants it. So just click. Click in the info. You'll get it. Appreciate yeah. that. And don't forget to catch uh, this week's episode of uh, Not A Bomb Watches. We're still getting through Cowboy Bebop. We're slowly getting to the end. And the live action series is getting ready to start in, what, two weeks now? Yeah, the 19th, right? Yeah, right? I think that's right. Yeah. I'm super excited. So that, that's been a fun discovery. And uh, Sammy will be back on for that. But uh, hey, look, folks. Uh, I don't know if you're listening in the morning, afternoon, evening. As always, we are super thankful you just hung out with us and talked spooky films. Can't wait to do this again next October. But I hope you're having an awesome day, and we will catch you next week when we get to learn why Brad doesn't like Dancing with Wolves and whether or not the postman is a bomb. So we'll see you then. Evil dies tonight. Evil dies tonight.